are listening to a Bullpen Bulletin's special edition. First in the series, collect them all. This is Stan Lee speaking. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, Lee? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby. By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw a bald-headed. Welcome to Bullpen Bulletins, a celebration of all things Marvel. I'm Vince B. I'm David Price. And holy mackerel, Andy, do we have an episode for you today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In our second half, we pulled in Tony Guagliardo, who also is known as Doombot on our forum, for a talk about Civil War Number 5, among other things. And for the first half of our show, we found this unknown, you know, seldom seen comic artist, and, you know, we dragged him in. Overnight sensation, almost, I think. You know, he's only been around since, what, since the 92, 94, you said? We got a hold of Mr. Tommy Lee Edwards. Nice. I had a blast. Yeah, you're not kidding. What? (laughs) It's hard to imagine somebody with that kind of talent would be so down to earth and and you know just laid back but the guy was incredible and uh, as anybody who who has listened to us from the first episode we haven't interviewed anyone before tommy was our first and man what a way to come in oh yeah with tommy lee edwards good god it, it basically like it, it's almost like it's any of our other shows except this person actually works in the comics industry and we got to ask him some questions about his job about how he goes about his job his his day-to-day grind and um and i man i could listen to him forever but we cut him some slack because you know he does have a couple comics to produce so um we got an hour and a half out of him it's a damn solid hour and a half and we hope you enjoy it i do yeah definitely i do hope you enjoy it and and it, and yes okay so that was an hour and a half there we talked to Tony for a bit, so I guess, you know, since everybody tends to um, gorge out and, and just stuff as much as they can for this particular holiday weekend, we, we figured an extra-sized episode really wouldn't uh, turn anybody off. Oh, yeah. See, it's a, that's our theme. It's our Thanksgiving too much information episode <laughs> there's a lot a lot to to digest with this i mean we we had a good time with tony too talked about civil war number five among other things and you know and scattered throughout the episode there's little surprises here and there 
Some of them you'll get. Some of them maybe you won't. Those who do get them, post on the forum. Maybe you win the bullpen bulletins uh, no prize. Who knows? Give it a shot. Listen. Let us know what you think. And uh, we hope you had a good holiday. Absolutely. Did you, Vince? Eh, whatever. It's Thanksgiving. (laughs) (laughs) So you hope everybody else has a good holiday, but, you know, whatever. It's my my second least favorite holiday next to Christmas, so. (laughs) Oh, Yeah, take it from there. So enjoy, and we'll see you on the forum. See you next week, folks. Bye-bye. Well, we have a very special guest with us tonight. Uh, He's an artist whose impact is felt across a wide variety of media. Uh, video games, film, animation, and good old comic books. Uh, Mr. Tommy Lee Edwards. Hi. Uh, welcome Hello, to Tom. the show. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you on. I was at uh, Newsarama today, and I, I saw an interview they had posted with you, and there's some preview art to bullet points number two on there. You know, you're going to have to try harder a little bit because, the, the, you know, the work is just... Just horrible stuff. <laughs> can't even say it with a straight face. Oh no, I can't. It, my God, it's gorgeous. Well, thanks. Nice to hear. It's, especially since uh, um, it's really been kicking, uh, kicking my ass. So. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get into that. But uh, <laughs> let's start at the beginning. Did an interest in art lead you to comics? Or did you have a love of comics that led you to illustration? Which came first? The, the um, I don't know. I, I think I think uh, it was probably both uh, all the time. Um, yeah, a lot of people will ask, uh, "Well, when did you start drawing or whatever?" And and I don't, I actually don't remember ever uh, ever not doing it. You know, so um, I mean, I have. Uh, the one thing, though, that was unique about my drawings uh, was that even from the age of, like, three and four, I would make books with the drawings. So it always seemed to be about storytelling somehow. Um, I mean, I was four when Star Wars came out. And that made, like, a huge impact, obviously. So so I would do, um, you know, drawings, but they, you know, were single pictures that had a story, like like kind of like kids' picture books. And then you turn the page, and then there'd be another drawing with the story, and then, you know, and and then uh, uh, I used to get those, um, what do they call those, those Marvel, those really giant, like, oversized reprints? The, the Treasury Editions? Yeah. Yeah, like, I would get those of, like, uh, the Thor, you know, Thor, the Silver Surfer, and uh, Spider-Man, and all that stuff, and then when I was really little, and then, uh, and then getting up into end of junior, end of elementary school and into junior high and then all the way into high school I was you know it was the 80s you know so yeah I was really into Howard Shake and American Flag and and uh you know all that stuff that was coming out at that time um and but when I was in sixth grade I started taking classes from an illustrator in Michigan named Ed Hubert and uh Ed uh, kind of really opened my eyes to lots of really great illustrations, especially from the 1960s, guys like Bob Peake and Bernie Fuchs and and guys that in comics people were into, like Howard Chaykin was actually really into Robert Fawcett and Mill Sickles and all these illustrators, the way that Sienkiewicz was really into Bob Peake and you know, all the guys that in comics we didn't really know. So I kind of lucked out at a young age to be exposed to some other kinds of illustration and that ended up 
leading me to go to school uh, for it, to go to college at the Art Center College of Design in California. Uh, I found the Treasury editions really useful, um, not because they reprinted work that I, as a child, never saw, but in my as a teenager they were really big, so you can hide the Playboys in them, you know, and, <laughs> and, and your mother never knew what you were reading. Oh, I love the Treasury editions. <laughs> uh, still, still, you know that the smell of newsprint, you know, and everything just reminds me of those, and you know, just just a great big piece of childhood yeah and no, i i had uh, i think an old marvel they they presented it as a spider-man treasury but it was obviously um from other uh from maybe early marvel team-ups or marvel tales where um there was a story where he teamed up with ghost rider and they took on the orb there was an x-men Ooh. story they fought um morbius the vampire and I, I loved the hell out of that book because it was so big. And, I mean, they, they were probably so cheaply made because they were, like, the, the, the cheap paper. They had a yeah. nice cover, but the um, they, they were, I think, a huge book for probably less than a buck and a quarter at that time. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah you're right. You know, the other book that I had that was made a really huge impact on me was The Origins of Marvel Comics by Stan Lee. Oh, same here. You know, the collected, you know, like all kind of like, you know, you had the very first, you know, Hulk story, the first, uh, you know, Fantastic Four, the first Spider-Man, you know, the first, you know, it was, that was, uh, that was pretty huge for me. And even, even that How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way with uh, John <laughs> I love that, yeah. You know, that stuff, man, I ate that stuff up, you know. Yep, so. yeah. I can still remember the the exact uh, time and place I bought the Origins of Marvel Comics. The, oh. That yeah, that book made a really big impact on me. Yeah, I got it at a garage sale, uh, and uh, the kid who owned it before me had his name written in it, and I crossed his out and wrote mine in there. <laughs> Mark, Mark and now the thing that thing just held together with the uh, tape now, and I have it out sitting right by my desk right now as I'm drawing bullet points. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So. You, you can't beat Ramita. Yeah. Um, what were some of the obstacles you encountered while trying to break into the business? Did you find it difficult to get in? Um, uh, yes and no. I mean, um, I started uh, first started getting work professionally as an illustrator in probably 1992 when I was 19 going to college. And... Um, I was doing a little bit of stuff for some record companies and animation and you know, a lot of stuff, that, you know, storyboarding, commercials, stuff that you could pick up while living in L.A. and trying to help pay for school. Um, and this was, like I said, the early 90s, and there wasn't a lot going on in comics that I felt, at least that I was exposed to, that I wasn't really reading anything anymore. Uh, and artistically, I didn't see a lot happening that I was really into. Um, but I met Howard Chaikin at a convention. I saw he was going to be at a convention in L.A., and I decided to, to go meet him um, because at school, the only teacher I had that was closely related to anything comic book related was Bern Hogarth, who did all the old Tarzan strips in the 30s and 40s and, and then did all the dynamic figure drawing books and all that kind of stuff, so... He was probably the closest I had to a teacher at school that knew anything about 
you know, sequential kinds of storytelling. But I really wanted to meet somebody like and show them my work because I still had an interest in that kind of stuff. I didn't know if I wanted to do it for a living or not. But um, uh, but I met Howard at a convention in L.A. and um, uh, we just really hit it off and we like all the same stuff. And then uh, we've been buddies ever since. So he he really helped me out a lot in the beginning to uh, get my interest kind of revitalized in comics and help me to kind of get into a lot of stuff that that I missed out on because of you know the generation we were in versus what he was in so uh, so stuff like stuff that became my favorite comic art like Milk Kniff and Frank Robbins and Alex Toast uh, you know Howard really kind of got me into it and then eventually my first comic work came through knowing Howard as well he basically uh, as far as mainstream stuff goes, he, you know, showed my stuff to some people at DC Comics, and and then um, just started getting, you know, jobs penciling stuff, and then eventually, the hard part was getting it to the point where I could, you know, have a little more control over this stuff. But uh, um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh, wasn't extraordinarily hard. And then the hard thing was getting the kind of jobs that you want to get. <laughs> It all hinges on Chaikin, then. Yeah, well, it definitely helped get the stuff um, on the right person's desk. I mean, I mean, I really, uh, that's the same with anything I do, any movie stuff or game stuff or anything. It's always uh, um, networking, you know. It's always, it's, it's not going to get you the job, but it's going to um, get you the right person's name, the right person's, you know, phone number, the right person's email. Uh, get lunch with the right person, whatever it takes, and then then it's up to you to to really uh, sell yourself. And judging from the amount of work in the various areas that you do do, you're a master um, networker. I mean, it, <laughs> do you find it difficult to manage a workload like that? Uh, sometimes it gets really difficult. Um, uh, sometimes it gets really stressful. Um, and uh, especially, I mean, I, I, I'm married with two kids, and, and I, I, I would love to be with them, you know, 24 hours a day as well. So that, that kind of comes into play as well. But, but also, uh, actually, Al Williamson always used to tell me that, um, uh, you know, you always can depend on those artists, uh, those writers that have families and stuff, you know, because <laughs> they kind of have to provide, you know. Right. So, um, uh yeah, sometimes, um, especially working uh, in my solitary confinement in my studio behind the house, you can get a little nuts juggling a whole bunch of stuff. But, but, um, uh, but through experience, you kind of gauge how much you can handle and how much you can't. And, and even though you, how badly you want to do something, sometimes you do have to turn things down for for your physical and mental health. And what's an average day like for you in terms of the amount of hours you put in? It, it really varies. You're kind of a slave to the calendar, you know. So, uh, I mean, today, actually, I, I probably only worked for about maybe five hours. Um, and I took my kids to go see uh, the new George Miller uh, Happy Feet movie. So, oh. um, so the kids were off school, and I wanted to hang out with them. And, um, and then tomorrow, you know, Thanksgiving, I'm going to have to work, you know. Uh, to just try and stay on schedule, um, but I try and treat it as a real nine to five kind of thing. Uh, the next co- a couple of days here, kind of work with the holiday, but um, 
uh, I generally, you know, get up with the kids in the morning and my wife, and we get them off to school at, you know, 7.15, and then, and then um, if I feel like I have time, I, you know, ride my motorcycle up to the gym and get a little bit of, uh, get off my butt, and then uh, get get to work and really treat it as a, you know, get, get really literally a 9 to 5 kind of thing, you know, so. Yeah. I might start at nine and uh, take a break when the kids get home after three, just to say hi. Get back out there, work till six, maybe seven. Come in and you know, and having my studio about forty yards behind the house really helps because <laughs> I can the... shut the door and and leave work. It's great. That is great. It I take, wish I could do that. It takes a lot of discipline to be a self-employed artist. Yeah, and I was and and I was going to ask if um. If you have a set schedule every day, or do you, if, or for example, with bullet points, you're 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 penciling, you're inking, you're, you're you're doing pretty much everything but the lettering. Do you do you do do you pencil a bunch of pages and then go back and ink it, or do you pencil and ink and color like page by page? Do you have a set routine every yeah, day, or do you vary it up just to change things? Oh uh, yeah, it's a good question. I'll, I'll usually um, uh, I'll lay out the whole book at once. Um, which is 22 pages, and uh, first again you know, I read the script, and then I read it again, kind of thinking of what I might have it look like in my head, and then I read it a third time uh, while I lay it out, and I lay out the whole 22 pages at one time, and my layout on this book, not on all books or projects, but on this one I'm laying it all out in Photoshop, drawing on the Wacom Cintiq tablet. So I draw the, my layouts in Photoshop and indicate all the balloons and everything. I have to work from a full script um, so that I can, you know, indicate where all the balloons go and fully lay it out and also indicate all the the acting and everything really well. I, I, I refuse to work from a plot. It's just completely ridiculous. So that's a personal preference from you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I have to, the more information, the better. And that way I can, uh, you know, like I said, execute the acting and get, get as get everything across and also since uh, you know the word balloons and everything is such a huge part of the design of my pages I have to have obviously all the dialogue so um, and then I basically print those up to to the size I'm going to draw it like the artboard size you know roughly 11 by 17 and I tape them basically tape those layouts onto the back of my Bristol and then I go on my light box and I can see what I've done uh, that I've printed out from my computer. And then I draw all the panel borders. I draw in all the balloons. Uh, this is all done with pencils. And then, uh, and then send it all off to John Workman to, to do the lettering by hand. And then uh, while there's usually about a week where I don't have anything from John, then I switch to other jobs, and I also switch to getting reference based on my layout. So, if I know I'm going to have to do, uh, you know, World War II, like I did in Bullet Points Number One, um, I basically look through my layouts and figure out, okay, I'm going to need this kind of landing craft, this kind of airplane, this kind of costumes, this kind of time period, whatever. And then I spend a week doing that stuff, and, and then yeah, when I get it back, uh, I have my reference. Um, I have I feel really confident and I just start inking and I don't do very tight pencils um, I do loose pencils and then I start inking right there and then I scan I'll usually then ink 11 pages and then scan and color 11 pages 
and then I ink the second 11 pages and then scan and color those 11 pages. <laughs> so. so you're doing traditional inks on this. This is not a digital inking No, chip. it's all bullet points. is primarily all ink with a brush. Do you, do you find it as difficult as I do to manipulate the pen points and say something like Photoshop? It, it, it's incredibly hard to get a realistic line. Yeah, I can't draw in Photoshop. I I can barely even. I mean, my layouts look like a, like a like a fifth grader drawing. You know, <laughs> I just can't do it. I I don't enjoy it, and I I physically and mentally can't just get to a point where even on the Cintiq. I could do my layouts, and they're, they're fun, they're fast, and it almost feels like I'm drawing with watercolors. I'll usually work with, with you know, like the brush and and different opacities and work, you know, with different filters and lots of stuff, but but it's kind of, uh, um, I love coloring on, on in Photoshop, but, but, I, but I can't draw in it. So um, even on, you know, my, my all my paintings I do for, uh, those are, that's all paint, you know, so... Um, but the computer is great to be able to then I scan it and manipulate it. You know, even with like Star Wars or something, I may do a painting of Jedi, you know, fighting with lightsabers. But after I scan it, I might decide to go punch that lightsaber up in Photoshop or you know get the blacks nice and rich and ready for print. So the computer is great for that. But I I don't see myself ever being able to actually fully generate a piece of illustration in the computer. It, it's a very different style from the traditional Marvel method, where you know you would there wouldn't be a digital stage where you're in a, in essence taking the place of the inker and the colorist on bullet points. Have you ever encountered any opposition because you work this way? Um, yeah. Uh, well, lately uh, not so much, but when I first started trying to to um, you know basically do it and hand it in um uh man years ago um uh i kind of stopped doing comics as my regular i I felt like i was doing a lot of comics and doing it it kind of became my main um income and uh this was probably around 97 or so um, I felt like I was doing a lot of comics and having to produce them very quickly um, basically to pay the bills you know um, which is why we have pencils things colors letters and everybody separate that way so you can have books come out on a monthly basis or have them come out pretty quick so um, it got to the point where I was starting to I just was never happy with anything that came out hardly um, because I didn't have enough control and or I had to do it too fast or whatever. Um, and also I feel like I had all my eggs in one basket. So I started going back and doing more non-comics illustration. But there were some things that, that um, yeah, I started getting in some little bit of some, uh, little bit of some trouble with some editors at DC about, um, you know, me wanting to have everything a certain way or wanting it to do it my way and and some editors i feel were, were a little threatened by that because then they wonder well what's what's my job you know i mean they wanted to put their buddy you know the certain letterer on the book or whatever and, and uh but i have to have it where at this time i remember dc wanted me to draw the creeper um in like 97 98 and um the editor at the time was mike McAvinney. i don't know if he even works at dc anymore but he told me yeah you can have your 
your choice of inker. If you don't want to ink it yourself, you can have your wife Melissa color it. Who my wife Melissa was coloring uh, Moon Knight and Zombie World, and she colored Earth X over JP. Colors of John Paul Leon stuff a lot. And uh, when it came down to actually doing the book, um, yeah, he wasn't going to let me have John Workman. He wasn't going to let me have Melissa. He had his own ideas, and so I I quit. I left the book. Um, so you kind of, I really had to make a choice and stand up for myself and basically get it to the point where, I, the main reason I do comics now, since I, since most of my bread and butter comes from other forms of illustration, is uh, I mostly do comics because I love doing comics. So, and if I'm going to come out with a comic that's a piece of crap, then why bother doing it? So, um, so luckily over the past few years, it's been a little easier to, uh, you know, they trust me and. And what's nice is, like, Marvel really liked the question. So, so all I say is, well, if you want that level of, of, of work into something, you've got to let me do it all myself, really, you know. So, so now, nowadays, I think they just sort of assume that I'm going to do it myself. That's a really admirable way to look at it, because in the end, it's your name on the book. Oh, yeah. And that's another reason why, why comics is gratifying versus some other stuff that I might do, like uh, you know, licensing stuff or advertising or something where you're very heavily art directed and and your name might not be anywhere on that piece of artwork. Um, a comic really is something that's much more much more personal, and you spend a lot more more of your your life and your brain power on. We have a question from one of our forum members, Dan Great. Dan C, who goes by the name of paper cut uh, he says since you're doing all of the art duties on bullet points does that change how you approach the work knowing that you're in complete control of the page minus the word balloons in comparison to just being a penciler and or inker yeah well, I, I think it does a little in the fact that like kind of how I mentioned how I barely do any pencils um, and um, uh, that's another. A lot of this stuff. It's funny how I think about it. Is is actually really is influenced by being in a studio with Chaikin and stuff. Is him and and also Walter Simonson, also a friend of Howard's. They, they do very minimal penciling, and I think um, it's just so weird to do super tight pencils and then then just trace over them. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, so my inks aren't really inks; they're just drawing with ink. Um, so, um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, also I can think ahead, um, where I can think about, like, the finished product, what it's really going to be, and that might affect what kind of tools I want to use. So, with the question, um, I wanted a very kind of modern, like, very line-driven, uh, artwork, very kind of clean look. And so I ended up drawing the question with like pens and nibs and markers and and uh, and then I did a lot of the rendering in more of a painterly way in Photoshop. And then with bullet points, I wanted a slightly different kind of look. It was a little more old-fashioned comics, and especially since it, a lot of it was period stuff and World War II stuff, I was thinking more along the lines of you know, the classic comics that were influenced, you know, that influenced bullet points, like the stuff from, you know, Kirby and Don Heck and, and Steve Ditko and all these guys, but also I was thinking of Milton F. and Frank Robbins and all these guys that all drew with a brush and ink, and uh, so bullet points, I'm actually 
know, changing up the tools from the way I did on the question, but I'm able to think ahead and think about what the final product is going to be like. All right. Now that you mention it, there is a real strong Kniff feel to bullet points. I, I never noticed yeah. that. <laughs> it's nothing actually that, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've actually looked at any Kniff uh, while I've been working on bullet points. I think almost in fear of uh, getting too far that way. But um, uh, it's just that I'll get in a mindset, you know, like when I was doing the question, like I said, I was in, I was in kind of more of a 60s mindset. Cause that's how I, for some reason, I see the question as a very 60s character. I, I see him as a very, you know, Ditko character with the hat, and and I was thinking of Robert McGinnis and Al Parker and, and all these very line-driven artists. So, yeah, I'll kind of like just get in a different kind of mindset. And Yeah, I, I think... Uh, um, it's fun because I think I think there's this is a very old-fashioned kind of comic to me bullet points, but at the same time, you know, we're using computers and really modern printing techniques and real fancy paper and all that. But uh, and I think a lot of the Marvel readers are finding that it's very different from everything else that that's kind of out there in the mainstream Marvel stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So and at the but then all it, you know all it is is good old-fashioned comics you know it's really not anything that i'm doing that is uh you know reinventing the wheel or anything i'm just uh drawing uh you know, these good you'll see that uh, you know there are a lot of um and we'll come across some some people on on our forum some some we, we have a lot of older comic fans that remember Marvel Comics from the 70s. From the, I, I grew up reading Marvel Comics in the 80s, and I went back and read a lot of the stuff from the 70s. So I yeah, yeah, I remember right. what the coloring looks like when, when, you know, you had the little dots to make up red with, with orange and yellow. And, and I remember, you know, seeing the inks and, and people doing lettering by hand. And that's one thing that I really noticed with bullet points was just the letter. I, at first, I was so happy that I saw John Workman's name as letterer, but then realizing that he's not—you know, this isn't this isn't someone from virtual calligraphy or comic craft or anybody. I mean, he's doing this, and I, I, I'm, I really like the look of. That. I mean, aside from the lettering, just the layout of the book, the way the book looks, and it does—it oh, cool. does look like an old. Uh, you know, it looks like the way the comics were made when when I was reading them, and 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 we get a lot of readers today that either came on during the, uh, you know, what they call the image years or, or the modern age, things like that. And, and, and all they know is the coloring that Marvel bought from Malibu or the, uh. and, and so, you know, th this is like, they're not, they, they, a lot of, a lot of the newer readers just think that comics are just made digitally, that you can do it all in Photoshop. And then it goes to the, to the printer that, you know, you send them the digital file and you're done. You know, I don't know if there are a lot of people that realize that, you know, there's, actual paper involved and real ink and and you know i i love I, I want comics to be like that again yeah yeah that oh man you sound just like me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i i, I mean i'm if like if john can't letter the project i won't even do it i wow. mean i mean luckily i'm at the point where i have enough work to justify that <laughs> hopefully that continues um but uh, it's just because, yeah, I mean, it's not worth it. It's just going to end up, yeah, I'm going to hate it, you know. I mean, I, I remember uh, I needed something to do, and this was around that time in, in the, you know, 97, 98, and I was trying to get some other stuff going, and Tom McFarlane asked me to do an issue of The Crow, and it was 
just this awful, you know, computer lettering that was slapped on later. These <laughs> awful colors with some guy with a shower door filter on the Photoshop. I don't know what he was doing, uh, coloring it. And um, I called up Todd and asked him to take my name off the book. I was so devastated. You know? Wow. Um, it's just, you know, uh, and it, it's it's really... Um, and John actually can give give clients, uh, he can give publishers uh, computer lettering if they need it, just because he's had to adapt in a way, you know, because um, a lot of the publishers, they think they have to have computer lettering. They have to do it this way. They have to do it that way. It's, it's really weird. So, And what's, what's tough, too, is I don't think even a lot of the, not only the artists, but even the writers, they don't really even know how comics are really made. So... Um, I mean, even with bullet points, uh, uh, J.M. Straczynski uh, has a tendency to, which I didn't know until I'm working on it, it's a full script, which is what I wanted, but he tends to change his mind a little in the end. So I've completely finished the whole issue, and then he comes back later, and and Joe will say, well, you know, maybe maybe he should say this instead. Or maybe, you know, maybe, why don't we maybe move this balloon a little bit over here? <laughs> and why don't we, you know what, I really like that Hulk drawing. Um, there's a balloon kind of covering part of his body. Why don't we just get rid of that balloon? It's covering the artwork. And I said, guys, there is no artwork there. The lettering is the artwork. It's part of the art. You cannot separate them. You know, but they didn't know, nobody knows that. They think it's just something that was slapped on later by the assistant editor. So... You know, it's really, um, it's really, yeah, I mean, I rarely see, I don't, you know, besides, I was actually sad to see Howard's latest uh, comic, um, Blade, from Marvel, uh, it's being lettered on the computer, and it drives me up the wall. <laughs> um, I miss the good old Ken Bruzenak and Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I mean, think of, the, think of the shadow and the use of lettering and versus Blade. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I love Howard's work and I always will, but, uh, you know, it's really nice to see, you know, I think I'm missing some of that kind of, kind of hand-done feel and some of the stuff today, no matter who's doing it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we will get into like, uh, we'll, we'll go off on tangents during some of the episodes and, <laughs> and I'm cutting Vince off again, but it, it's like we, um, you know, we'll mention, we'll mention John Costanza, we'll, mul- we'll mention Workman, I'll mention, um, Bob Lapin who did the, the Justice oh, yeah. League book, the, um, you know, Tom Warzachowski when he did all the mutant books. I mean, I, I, people will write to us on the forum and go like, I, I can't believe you know this letterer or this anchor or this colorist. And it's like, well, we grew up during a time when their names were right there. And, and you, you know, it wasn't just the computer doing the lettering or the coloring. It was, you know, people actually poured themselves into this. Yeah, it had a personality. And, and when you're a kid, you remember, I mean, I remember the first time I actually realized that there was a letterer, you know, that and, and it was it was John. It was mm-hmm. uh, stuff that he was doing, you know, with Walter Simonson on, like, you know, X Factor and all that stuff, and, and um, you know, Thor and Star Slammers and all that stuff I loved of, of Walter's, and, and, uh, um, and I remember thinking, God, if I ever did comics when I grew up, I'm going to work with John Workman. That's great. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm completely uh, loyal to him. I mean, I mean uh, we have such a great relationship. Uh, and we've worked together for, what, since, you know, since around, 
I guess, 93, 90, you know, something like wow. that. Um, and, you know, we've never met. <laughs> and it's great. You, you always hear about pencilers and inkers. You'll always hear about Byrne and Austin or, or, you know, yeah. or, 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 or Austin and Marshall Rogers. And you hear about all these penciler and inker teams, but you never really hear about, like, penciler and letterer. I mean, you know, you you saying that you really only want to work with John Workman, or or that, or, or that yeah. Howard always worked with Ken Bruce, and I, I mean, yeah. it it just makes so much sense. And all the after all this time, yeah, I, when I was reading Thor, John Workman was lettering that, and 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 it it makes sense. It's true that you know I saw Walt Simonson book, John Workman was doing the letters, and, right. and yeah, you're right. It it, it yeah. now I'm going to look at things a little differently than I normally do. <laughs> well, in the shadow, Bruzenek's characters were just as strong as the art. I mean, they, his yeah. le- his lettering was a, almost a character in itself. When you saw that, you know, the sound effect, you knew it was a Bruzenak book. Nice that, yeah, he, he'll make the sound effect or, or a certain lettering style uh, work with the story. The story kind of dictates it. I mean, like, John and I will do that. We'll be like, well, I think this story should have something more of a, you know, slick lettering or... or like on or on the question, uh, the tails were all just like these two lines that were open in the end. Um, or sometimes we'll have stuff that's you know really really tight little ovals with not much air. But on bullet points, they're actually they really are generally they're basically my balloons, and John kind of inks them. Um, and uh, so they have a very hand drawn feel, and they're very and that also adds to the feel of them being like part of the artwork. Um, is that uh, uh, I mean, just throughout, through experience, you kind of gauge, like, how much space they're going to take or whatever. But, yeah, some some people don't like um, the amount of air we have in our balloons, um, the amount of, like, space. Um, but uh, uh, I like it. I, I think people want the lettering to be as, as hidden as possible. Um, so they make it, you know, if you notice, it's like really, really tiny and really kind of like hard to see. Um, but it's the comic, guys. You read it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. right. I remember uh, some of the first work I ever got back in like 93 uh, and maybe into 94. I think just 93. I was doing some stuff for Valiant and I was indicating all these sound effects. Um, and Bob Layton told me, um, yeah, I don't want all these sound effects. And I said, why not? It's great. You know, I'm telling him about all the stuff I love, like Walter and Howard and the stuff we're talking about. And he said, yeah, I just feel like, you know, you look at a sound effect and it just uh, reminds the reader that they're reading a comic. (laughs) I really want to go go for something different, you know. So I I was completely flabbergasted by that and and started looking for work at D.C. (laughs) um, But, yeah, it was... It's weird. I mean, there's certain things that have worked in comics for a hundred years, and there's reasons why they work and reasons why some other things don't. Ramos was connected. His brother was chief artist to the pharaoh. So before his death, work began on decorating his tomb with some exquisite paintings and reliefs. But before it was finished, the pharaoh died. His brother lost the job and work ground to a halt. Bad news for Ramos. Good news for us because on one of the unfinished walls, archaeologists found some telltale signs. Clues to why the Egyptian style 
never changed. Traced across the surface of the plaster are the fine red lines of a grid that covers the entire body. They analyze this grid, recording numerous details. The figure was 19 squares tall. The feet were two and a half squares long. The pupil of the eye was one square off the center line. They then applied this same grid to other images from all over Egypt. Sure enough, they fitted. This is why the style remained unchanged for so long. Egyptian society clearly didn't want it to change. Their images were driven by a shared obsession with consistency and order. Precisely the cultural values on which the entire civilization had been founded. What I really find unique about your work is that you use the digital technology not as a shortcut like some artists do where they'll just rely on the ability to take a photo and drop it in a background and you know that expedites the process so to speak but you actually use it to push the medium a bit um, and the one page that really stuck out in bullet points to me was the page where um, Steve is throwing up in the can <laughs> I mean not you weren't content with just to do the page to a certain level and you know start something else you went in after the fact and put that texture and oh. that that stipple and that you know the the real faded look over certain areas of the page and it works really well oh cool yeah oh yeah yeah I know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. yeah there was like a, almost some of it's supposed to look like a little bit like news footage and stuff. right you get a real a real yeah. cold feeling from the the World War two scenes which I think is really appropriate it's it's just amazing stuff and cool. and it's not often you see that extra step yeah I'm, I'm, sometimes there's a, there's a danger of um, of of overdoing it as well you know like I was actually coloring a page today where um, uh, of bullet points where we have um, uh, actually Doctor Strange in uh, issue four hey and um, uh, and I you know, I had put all this texture and crap all over his uh, gloves, and then I ended up just getting rid of it um, later. So, so just because you can, uh, I find that you know there's a tendency to you know go ahead and, and get crazy with it. You know, but um, sometimes just making it nice and flat works a little better. But uh, yeah, it's fun to kind of experiment and try stuff out, though. You know, so comics are perfect for that. I yeah, mean, uh, like. The question was the first time I ever really tackled something that big in comics and did it all myself uh, and did so much work in the computer. And I found out how I wanted to do that by working on a game for Electronic Arts. And I was doing like, the same kind of methods. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, next year I may try and do something a little different. Who knows, you know? Right. And I was uh, particularly impressed in the question with that cityscape, and that was it looked to me like it was done in a 3D rendering program, and then you went in after the fact and did some line work on it. Was that the way you, you did that double page? Yeah, there were, there were a couple places where I wanted to try using uh, 3D models, and um, 
uh, a friend of mine who's an animation director in L.A. named Don Cameron. Um, uh, I had designed the um, Lex Luthor's tower and and some other buildings in the story, and um, and Don uh, went from my designs and, and helped me out, and we built a, uh, some models in 3D Studio Max, and and um, any kind of reference or any kind of models or anything like that was all, always done or found like after I did the layouts. So it was fun. So I, after I'd already kind of laid it out and started to rough in the pencils, uh, then we were able to do a, a model that matched up with that. And then I basically um, uh, would like print it out and, and light box the model uh, so that I had like a, a drawing as well. And then I basically kind of used gold from the finished product, and I think some of it was was really successful. Some of it I, I wish was a little more successful, but it was an experiment, you know, something mm -hmm. to try. So it's it's almost like a collage type approach where you're working on a bunch of levels simultaneously. Yeah, and, and yeah. Shifting. Oh yeah, Photoshop's great with that. With you know, have you know, man, like you know, twenty layers going at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, which gives you the ability to to get the best composition possible. It's it's a wonderful tool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of. Uh, I'll I'll be sitting there drawing, and I uh, wish I had that Command Z. Uh, um, you know, undo, undo. <laughs> you know. Um, I was drawing a splash page a couple of days ago where it has Daredevil and Doctor Doom and and Professor X and like all these really big characters and. And um, I had such minimal penciling on there, and I went ahead and just finished inking Daredevil, and I was really happy with it. And I was really uptight and nervous while I started inking the rest of it because I was convinced I was going to mess it up. Um, and I was wishing I was on the computer that I could, uh, you know, yeah. go in and. You know. But you know, even if I did mess it up, I could technically then go in and. I mean, on the question, I draw a head that I didn't like. I draw another one right next to it. And um, and then while I was in Photoshop, I just get rid of the one, move the other one over, and stick it on the body. Mm -hmm. Neat. There, there's no Command Z in the real world, unfortunately. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find it harder to sell your originals now that um, most? Uh, well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the finished look comes in a, a later stage that's done digitally. Is it um, harder to to part to sell the line work? Uh, on the question, uh, yes, because the question it looks severely different. Um, bullet points actually doesn't look as different as you would think. Um, bullet points also, since the question was mostly all these kind of open line drawings, um, uh, it just looks like this, almost like these weird blueprints for where art's going to go. I mean, it's really weird looking. Um, even even in the silhouette panels, I didn't even bother filling in the blacks. I just put X's and filled the blacks in in the computer. I was like, I didn't give a crap about the originals on that job at all. Um, but on bullet points, they actually make really nice originals because uh, it's all drawn in brush and it's you know more like drawn in, in mass and form. Um, and actually, sometimes actually, I think some of them look better in black and white than they do colored on bullet points. Now, do you sell your originals through an art house, or do you um, broker them yourself? 
Um, I sell them myself, uh, just through people that email me. People email me wondering if I have certain things, and um, and then there's certain kind of collectors that'll want certain things or something. But um, uh, or I go to some conventions and bring some stuff with me there. Um, but uh, yeah, generally I I don't really try to sell comic stuff too much, so. Sometimes I think about going through a dealer or something, but I, mm -hmm. I just, uh, I guess I don't care enough to sell the stuff. But um, uh, most of my, I sell a lot of my like paintings and stuff, like my Star Wars stuff and all that sells really quickly. So usually I'm, as far as selling originals, I'm, I'm usually selling that kind of stuff more. Well, it's good to know. We'll talk. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> I, I, I. I just absolutely love the page where Steve stumbles upon the Iron Man armor. Oh, that yeah. that is a fantastic page. There's something. I mean, all your pages are very strong. Which one is it? Right when he he stumbles upon the armor in the with the the dome around it. Oh yeah, that page is gone already. Of oh. course it is. <laughs> but I am curious to see what these Doctor Strange pages are going to look like. I, you know, I love hearing about what you're working on now, but you talking Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange and Daredevil, you're killing me. I, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, well, it, it's weird because they really are just flashes of stuff. I think I think in bullet points, Joe tries to fit in as much as he can, but but it really has to kind of like, I think almost rein himself in and say, okay, we're just going to concentrate on these guys and rather than go crazy and throw everybody in there but he gives he i think for the fans sake and for fun he he kind of puts in you know like um you know a little bit of dr strange a little bit of you know this and that i mean in, in issue five though i'm i'm really a little scared because it literally is everybody is in issue five I mean, oh um at is the it? end of number four um uh galactus and silver surfer show up oh no. my god so, oh, you just made a friend for life. <laughs> I, I went ahead and um, there's. I was doing some kind of uh, real civilian type talking head pages um, with uh, on the shield helicarrier and stuff in number four, and I really wanted to draw a Silver Surfer and Galactus, so I skipped to page twenty-two and did a splash page of those guys. Do me a favor. Do you have a post-it note handy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Write down this number. No. Do, um, oh, go ahead, Vince. Four letters. S-O-L-D. Just. <laughs> <laughs> it's them in Manhattan. Oh. And lots of, lots of, uh, and my litmus test is, uh, is my son, Henry, uh, who just turned eight a couple of days ago. He came into the studio and I just had finished that page, and he looked at it and went, awesome! So, huh. so I was like, all right, good. At least uh, there's one page that, that a kid will like. So. Oh, boy. Um, then some of them he'll look at and go, eh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kids. While we're on the subject of JMS, what are his scripts like? Does he give you the opportunity to interpret the art? through the Tommy Lee Edwards filter, so to speak, or are they very tight and specific? Um, uh, they're, they're generally tight. I wish they were more tight, actually. Um, um, but, yeah, I mean, there's just enough information there. Um, some stuff he's really specific about, like, um, um, even on this issue, there's a, there's a, I'm drawing a Bruce Banner, and, um, and, he has in the script him working um, around, you know, some lab equipment and stuff and lit by a green light. So sometimes Joe will actually think of 
you know, like color and and how something might be framed or shot, you know, and then other times he it's completely left up to me, you know. So um so sometimes um like there's all this stuff take, that takes place in the shield helicarrier and um there's nowhere in the script where Joe really um asks for a uh, an establishing shot of the outside of the thing, you know. So sometimes he really kind of leaves that up to me like if I really want to show something or, or or not, you know. So um so yeah, they're they're pretty open. They're they're a little different from from um like Rick Veach's scripts that are like really really insanely uh, detailed and thought out um which uh, which are great because at the same time um uh Rick and I would have a relationship where if I felt like um you know I wanted to to play with something you know go ahead you know so and I think that's that's probably generally how how Joe feels too is, you know I mean I've had to add a few panels here or there if I wanted to make something clearer or you know something like that and it all works well. On the on, I mentioned Veach real quick on on the question. Did uh, when you were working when you would when he'd see a finished page by you? Did he ever say that you know he might have he envisioned it a little differently or because he was writing it he kind of knew exactly how the page was kind of gonna was gonna look when you were done with it. Um. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you would say he saw something uh, differently. Um, sometimes I think he maybe maybe in a disappointed way and some and but usually in a pleasantly surprised like wow I never would have done it that way I mean that's the that's the fun thing about working with a writer that can draw um, is uh, you know I, th- I think he he was actually really into that like wondering like you know how is it going to be different from how I would have done it you know and and um, um, but usually we were like sharing the same brain on the stuff. I mean, it was it was very we were very in sync on that on that job. And part of it was because we talked um, at least you know a couple times a week, um, you know, trying to figure out what we were going to do with the book. So the, the man is definitely a visionary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I wasn't. I mean. It's weird. Uh, I I knew of Rick, but I wasn't really a fan until until we worked on the question together. And now I, I'm really a fan of, of Rick Beach. Um, and um, I didn't know I didn't know uh, Straczynski before I started this, and and I didn't know. Um, and actually, it's really funny. I didn't I didn't know um, Mark Miller until until uh, a couple months ago when they offered me my next job. So. Kind of, I kind of find myself like, I think because we grew up reading these comics at that time, I feel like <laughs> I feel like an old guy all of a sudden. Like, mm-hmm. like, it's, like I, I, I'm still like, uh, I still, I'm rereading comics that I read when I was a kid instead of reading new stuff. I don't know what my problem is. But, uh. um, you're not alone. I, the, uh, <laughs> although that I, I did have um, when it, since you did just mention it, you really weren't familiar with or you didn't meet JMS before was did you find out about bullet points and went after it did uh, did did the editor say you know I think I have something for you did JMS see your work and think you were you were a good fit for it I, I'm curious to know how bullet points came came to you um it was already written I think they were just trying to to get an artist that was that was appropriate and one that they agreed on you know um, oh, they found so, them 
<laughs> yeah. Thank I, God Greg Land was busy with um <laughs> I think I think um I think the way it went was uh um I I did a uh I wanted to work with Rick Veach again and Marvelville wanted me to do something and Mark Panicia, my editor, and also Joe Quesada had been asking me to do some stuff at Marvel and had asked if I wanted to do I mean, we've been tossing projects back and forth for a long time. Um, Marvel Zombies was one of them. Uh, I mean, all, all kinds of stuff um, that just scheduling never worked out. And then, um, and then Rick Reach and I pitched a "What If Daredevil" thing to Marvel, and um, and we did that. Uh, and then while we were doing that, Mark Panuccia asked if I might want to go exclusive with Marvel, and Joe and I had talked about that possibility, Joe uh, Quesada, and then um, basically uh, I said, well, if I'm going to do something like that, if I'm going to go with like Marvel and do like mainstream kind of real comics, superhero stuff, let's go all the way, and I really want to do that, and and, um, so what writers you know would would kind of fit into that you know audience you know stuff like that so we started talking about different kinds of projects and so he contacted me with bullet points already done and had shown my work to jms and um and he said well how, well, how do you feel about jms and i didn't know what jms was i thought was that like a MGD is it some kind of beer? Or, <laughs> I didn't know what that was, um, but then I looked him up on online, and, and I obviously saw that um, you know he's this, this really solid writer that's got all this you know really great stuff under his belt, and, and uh, it was definitely along the lines of what I wanted to do. So so it all kind of worked out, and and um, and then once I started handing stuff in. Um, I basically I show them you know those layouts I was telling you about that I do on the Cintiq. Those are basically my pencils. I just I actually send those to my editor, and uh, and those are my pencils. And then from there, the next thing they see are inked and colored pages. So um, uh, so I think you know in the beginning you know Straczynski seeing these you know um, computer drawn you know goofy you know layouts, uh, just pure storytelling. And uh, and luckily, I think he uh, he he was really happy when everything started coming in. So, well, I'm sure we'll see those layouts in the eventual hardcover version of this because <laughs> I also if if there's any justice in the world, this will be an oversized hardcover. Oh, I can pray. Yeah, well, it, it has well, such a beautiful. Start petitioning Marvel now. <laughs> <laughs> it, we will. It has such a European feel to it. Oh, cool. Yeah, it would, it would, yeah, it'd be neat to see this uh, all collected, especially once I I saw the the book um, on the stands, uh, you know, a week or two whenever it came out. Um, uh, I was shocked at the amount of advertisements in the book, um, and uh, I was I had never seen my art with that many ads, and, and I was really like taken aback by it. So I'm really looking forward to the trade paperback where where there won't be you know like opposite every single page you know like a an advertisement so um uh i mean i understand they gotta put the ads in there but i i was i'm really it makes me look even more forward to having a nice you know collected edition right and i'm sure it'll happen 
Um, now, while we're on the subject of collected editions, did the lack of support for the Question miniseries influence your decision to go exclusive with Marvel? Because we haven't seen a collected edition for that yet. And I sort of got the impression that as the series was coming out, DC didn't really do all that much to push it in the marketplace at all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I definitely was, um, you know, I, I mentioned that, like, uh, Quesada and, and the guys at Marvel really liked the question, and I, I even got, like, more of a, a positive feedback from them um, on it than I did from the people at DC, and, um, uh, and I told, when they asked me about going exclusive, I said, well, I know we can't, you know, guarantee, oh, yeah, this is going to be a huge seller, you know, whatever we do, um, but but can we at least try, you know, can we do some sort of promotion, and can we, and and also I kind of wanted to work on some characters that had a bit more of a, a following and that were a bit more well-known than the question, um, partly so that maybe the next time I do a character like the question, um, some people may come over that had read something I did with, you know, Spider-Man or, or uh, you know, or the Hulk or whatever, you know. Um, uh, so, and also, uh, Marvel seems to have really kind of accepted the fact that the trade paperbacks are doing really well for them, and they've really embraced that and really trying to get into the book market, which I thought was great. So, they, yeah, they kind of really won me over, um, by you know all those things you know and and so so yeah my experience on the question was was a, a big um, factor in why I went over to, to Marvel um, and uh, yeah I mean at every convention I go to I get emails like several times a week from fans everybody wanting the question trade paperback so <laughs> um, I man I mean we've gotten I mean even from from Froze, yeah. I mean, uh, Dave Gibbons uh, wrote an email uh, to Rick Veach, um, you know, just flipping out over what we do with the question and 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 wondering, you know, when when are we going to see, you know, more of the question? Oh, we are, but it's a it's a different kind of question. Uh, when am I going to see the the tree paperback? I don't I don't know. Um, so. Uh, it's it's as far as like mainstream superhero type comics. Uh, the question is something that um, I think is the thing I'm I'm most proud of. I mean, I I always see the flaws in it, and I, I kind of kick myself. I look at certain things, go ah, oh, I, I could have done that better, or should have done that differently, or whatever. But but generally, I'm I'm really proud of it, and 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 uh, uh, I just think like you know the main reason. DC dropped the ball on it was it was part of a line that fell apart um, there was going to be a whole line of books that took place in Metropolis and the question was one of them and they were all being done through Wildstorm all the, basically all those books fell apart except for the question um, and then eventually one of the books was a Lex Luthor book that was written by Azzarello I think um and drawn by Lieber Mayho. Okay. You know that book? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that was one of the books, and another one was Vigilante, another one was, um, another one originally was going to be OMAC, and there was all these books, 
And then they were all going to, and then DC said, well, we want them all to take place in Metropolis. So that drew a curveball that Rick Beach and I. Um, so we had to come up with uh, why is the question going to Metropolis? Uh, you know, why do we need another hero in Metropolis? You know, all this kind of stuff. And I think what we came up with was some really cool stuff. And But eventually the whole line collapsed. And uh, Rick and I were the only ones who were handing anything in after a while. So they said, well, let's just might as well have the question come out. And they just kind of had it come out. And, um, the only support we really had was, was Jim Lee, who got me on the book in the first place. And uh, there was one ad in one, Mar in one DC comic, and that was Jim's uh, Superman, um, because he basically insisted that we have an ad in, in his book because he loved the question so much. So, um, but uh, I think I think we'll see a Trippie Rubak eventually. We can I'd help. Like yeah. I mean, especially with the Dennis O'Neill prose novel coming out, it would kind. Of, I mean, that probably. I mean, obviously, they're two different versions of the question. But I mean, you know, if they're going to go ahead and present this question to us, then then why not go for broke and yeah, do it all. Well, hmm. I I think I think they're different, but but they're kind of not. I mean, they're not different to the point where you don't think it's the same guy. Right. Um, you know, it's just, I think, a different different writer, different different art, different different approach. But um, I think that they're all, like... I think what Rick did with the question was probably... Um, it's a total marriage of, of what Ditko had done um, and even and kind of grouping together that with what Denny O'Neill had done and kind of running with it and trying to, you know, at least put some some of uh, some originality into it, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is pretty awesome. I was I, stunned I, that it wasn't a Vertigo book. Maybe it might have been the way to go, you know. I I think once they decided to to kind of not do the line, the uh, they were calling it Superstorm, and once they decided not to do the Superstorm line, maybe they should have moved it over to Vertigo. Yeah. Maybe one of the reasons why DC is sort of pretending that that book doesn't didn't exist was the fact that the question that appears in Fifty Two is very different from the way Veach portrayed the character. Yeah, I have I haven't read Fifty Two, but that's what people at the comic shops have been telling me. Um, uh, the the question. Um, I know as a, as a character that Greg Rucka and some other writers really wanted to, to get their hands on, so now now they are, and and I know that when Rick and I were doing the question, our question, uh, he and I came up with all kinds of new ideas. I mean, we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if you know now now uh, the question goes to Gotham, you know, and now he could. Well, what would happen if he used his uh, you know gifts to really? you know, speak to that city, you know. Um, you know, we had all these great ideas for, you know, kind of continuing adventures of the question. I would have done it in a heartbeat, you know, just because Rick and I like working on a character so much. But um, uh, I think, you know, um, you know, I think there were some certain certain people at DC didn't didn't like uh, the story. Um, and it might have been a little too, too unique. But, uh, oh, well, see what happens. Their loss is Marvel's gain, thankfully. I think so, yeah. Well, so now Rick, Rick is exclusive to DC, so we're not going to be working together for another, uh, uh, you know, two and a half years or so. so. 
Now, because you do so much work in other industries, does that mean that we'll only see relatively short projects like Bullet Points and 1985 from you as far as your Marvel work goes? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really, um, even even just when I was doing some Daredevil covers for a little while, uh, even that was just, just almost more than I could handle. Um, uh, it's, um, to do the pencils, inks, and colors uh, on a comic, uh, 22 pages, that, on top of all my other work, um, the comic usually will take about 10 weeks or so. Um, so you have, you know, so that's, you know, about two and a half months. You times that times five books and there's a year, you know, so, um, and that's actually what I'm contracted to, um, was, um, uh, is basically five books a year. So, so you'll be getting five books a year from me for the next, you know, after bullet points, I've got two more years I'm going to be doing, and, uh, and maybe more, we'll see. But uh, um, but so far, so good. And and yeah, and it's kind of like you know, I'll be doing this other stuff uh, while I'm doing bullet points. Or, or yeah, I mean, I know what I'm going to be doing. Um, you know, next. So you mentioned 1985, and then after while I'm be while I'm doing 1985, I'll be doing this this new book for Del Rey of Star Wars. Um, and that'll take me all the way through till August, the Star Wars book. So, so I generally know what I'm going to be doing for the next, you know, half a year or whatever. That's a good feeling. Yeah. 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 When you're freelance. There's something we do hundreds of times a day without even noticing it. It's an ability that we utterly depend on in our lives, yet we take it for granted. Just watch. We see some lines and can give them meaning. We can tell one shape from another. And we understand that an arrangement of colours can represent something. The ability to read images is an essential part of our lives. But what if we didn't have this ability? Imagine we couldn't understand images. What would our world be like? Now, 1985 was originally solicited as a fumetti-type comic with photo-manipulated art. What what was behind the decision to not go that route? Um, I, you know, it's funny. I've never heard that word fumetti until this whole project. Uh, do you know where that word comes from? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, I think it's an Italian word, which roughly translates into comics. But Stan used the word a lot in the 70s uh, if really? you remember those um, editorial pages yeah. in, in the Marvel magazines where Stan would be there pitching books and there'd actually be a, like a word balloon over the picture mm-hmm. Stan called that Fumetti oh yeah. well there you go <laughs> but I, I mean um, 
I saw the preview art for that. It 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 didn't look like a comic, and it didn't look like uh, it, it it was this unique little beast that I couldn't put my finger on, and I couldn't imagine them publishing a whole series like that. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I the first I ever heard of it was um, uh, like maybe two or three months ago or something. Uh, Ralph Macchio uh, called me from Marvel. And uh, and offered me the job, and and um, I I wasn't familiar with the the writer, and I hadn't heard of the project, and so I so I asked if he could send me uh, some of the script and stuff, and and um, and he did, and from from what I can tell, um, he mentioned something about you know wanting they they had originally planned on doing it as a comic told with photographs and. And part of that actually um, does serve the story. Um, I don't want to get into the story too much, but it really, uh, um, it really actually, that idea sort of works for this particular project because of the, the story that Mark's written. Because um, it takes place in the real world. Um, it generally doesn't take place in the Marvel Universe. Um, so because of that, it, that idea of it being like real, you know, kind of works. But um, uh, Ralph, you know, kind of, you know, mentioned that, that they originally wanted to do it that way, but had abandoned it. Um, from what I can remember, it was mostly a budget and schedule kind of stuff, you know, um, and a little bit of creative uh, reasons as well. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, I haven't seen those preview pages, and and um, and and actually, um, I don't want to. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't want it. I don't want them to invade my subconscious. Uh, you, you know, if they, if if uh, you know they're really great, and and I feel like I have to, uh, and they they seduce me in a way, or I have to, you know, or I feel like I want to be what those are, or if. If if maybe I'll hate them, you know, and then I but I won't be able to get them out of my head either way, you know. So right. um, I'd rather not look at them. So so um, uh, so yeah. I mean, when I got Mark's script, I saw it a certain way, fresh in my head, um, uh, when I read it. And uh, so I'm afraid that if I see it another way already, it's kind of like you know, if you do a movie adaptation or something like that, it's. You know, you're having to stay true to something already existing. Um, I don't want to have to stay true to anything already existing. That's the fun of the comic. So, um, so, but yeah, I'm looking looking forward to working on it. That's for sure. Now, we were talking of through email, and I I got a kick out of it when I mentioned that I stumbled upon a, a copy of Wolverine '96 <laughs> fe- featuring a short story by you, and uh-huh. you, you told me to throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you find it hard to revisit your old work, your your early stuff? Yes, yes. Um, and again, that was something that you know I didn't I didn't have control over the color uh, or the lettering or I mean, well actually I think John might have lettered that. I can um, tell you in a second. It's right here. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I think John did letter that. Actually. I, I didn't throw it away. Yeah, it's Workman. Yeah, and. Um, uh, and actually, a buddy of mine, uh, Richard Case, had done the inks. Um, but um, yeah, I just have I just have uh, 
uh, I just remember the coloring not being good, and I remember um, I'm having to draw it really quickly, and and and, and uh, Rich and I not being able to communicate that that well. We just had to do it, bang it out, and hand it in. Um, and I just remember thinking it sucked. <laughs> I, I think you're a bit hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that uh, that I, I I just try and pretend didn't happen, you know. Um, so, and but then there's some things that um, that I did probably around that same time, uh, like Zombie World, uh, Winter's Dregs, I did with Bob Fingerman for Dark Horse, and that was probably around '97. Um, and uh, there's things in that that I feel like, you know, nearly 10 years later, I probably would do differently. I feel like I'm definitely a much better illustrator now than I was then. Um, but, but for when I did it, um, I'm still very, very proud of, of that book. Um, that's a book that I I'll actually will never sell any originals of. Um, only a couple friends I've given uh, some of the artwork from that. Um, but that's, that's the, basically that, the question, and one of my even earlier projects, uh, Gemini Blood for DC, um, those are my three favorite comics I've ever done. I remember when Gemini Blood came out, and it it just totally knocked me on my ass. I think it, <laughs> I, I think it's one of the most revolutionary series ever to come out of a mainstream publisher, and uh, DC acts like it n- never existed. I've never seen a collected yeah. edition. No, no. Just, I, I, I've been plagued with that, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, and and all of that goes toward me finally going. You know what? Um, I just got to do some damn uh, mainstream stuff, um, and uh, um, and hopefully that will now help things like, you know, the question like Gemini Blood. Um, I mean, those like I said, Gemini Blood, Winter's Dregs, and. Uh, the question were, were, I think, like, the three strongest writers and strongest comics I've ever, I've ever been able to be a part of. Um, I mean, even, you know, Gemini Blood, uh, God, when was that, 95, you know, I mean, I feel like, uh, some of that stuff I look at and I want to barf, but, but generally, you know, my heart was really in it, and, and there's some stuff that I can still try and be objective, and, and I, I think it's a damn good comic book. Uh, oh, yeah. Chris Hines is an awesome writer, and um, uh, I mean, if Gemini Blood is would be, I think, one of the coolest movies ever. Um, uh, it's just, it's just a really, really great story. I was so into it. And you were blessed with covers by Walt Simonson. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I asked for uh, Walter, and um, and we got him. Actually, uh, me and a handful of friends. Uh, John Paul Leon, Sean Chen, Trevor Goring, and Bernard Chang, we put out a sketchbook every year called The Boulevard, and we sell it at conventions and through our websites, and uh, this year we're working on our third Boulevard sketchbook, and Walter Simonson is going to be in the next one with us. Fantastic. Oh, boy. Speaking of conventions, real quick, are you making your way to uh, New York in February? I sure am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you guys going to be there? We're going to have a table. Oh, Cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Me and the Boulevard guys will all be there. With Walter and everybody. We'll be bothering you. <laughs> you have a couple rounds on us. Cool. <laughs> Let's um, do a little what if here. Yeah, okay, 1985 is over. 
What what would be your dream project at Marvel? Maybe say a six issue project that you always wanted to do and Joe Q says, Okay, you got it. What character would that be and what would that project be? Um I'd say um uh I'd like to do something all by myself with John Workman. Um <laughs> But I'd like to write it and everything, and uh, I think I'd like to do a story about uh, uh, Wolverine um, on a road trip on his motorcycle. Um, just some sort of real character-driven small town, you know, kind of slice, you know, slice of American culture kind of kind of thing. I would so buy that. Yeah, Wolverine. <laughs> it, yeah, it would never sell though. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, he's never in yeah. Why don't you find somebody that's got a little bit more exposure? <laughs> that sounds very cool. I've also, ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to draw Spider-Man. Um, I used to draw him all the time when I was a kid, and actually, I, I loved Spider-Man so much when I was a kid. I, when I was in maybe second or third grade, I, I remember really vividly I, having a dream that I was Spider-Man, and um, and I woke up uh, thinking that I was Spider-Man, and. Um, in the middle of the night, and uh, uh, and I remember praying to God out my window, "If I am Spider-Man, please God give me a sign." You know, um, <laughs> but I but I nothing ever happened, and I went back to bed. But, um, uh, but yeah, I was obsessed with Spider-Man when I was a kid. I had a red ski mask, and I drew with a sharpie the webbing on there, <laughs> and uh, I would wear it outside at you know 90 degree weather and just sweat my ass off. But um, uh, but. So actually, I finally get to draw Spider-Man in bullet points, um, but he, he's he's different though. But uh, but it's still Spider-Man. So but so sooner or later, I would like to draw Spider-Man. But he is actually in uh, in 1985. So oh, that's cool. um, uh, so yeah, you know, I think because 1985 and also bullet points are all revolve around lots of different characters, like a big cast. Um, the idea of uh, Wolverine by himself on a motorcycle riding across the, the country sounds pretty good. Could <laughs> <laughs> be in the snow. <laughs> I, I would definitely buy that. <laughs> so, so, do you get an opportunity to read many comics these days? Um, not really. Uh, I do read some. Um, I, I primarily read uh, a lot of nonfiction history books and stuff like that. Um, but uh, when I do read comics, it's usually comics that are done by friends or, or um, yeah, like I'm, I'm about halfway through Rick Veach's uh, uh, Can't Get No right now. And um, I buy, whenever I even buy some comics at the store, um, I'm always kind of shocked. Um, I, I, I hardly get to go to the comic shop, but when I do, um, I just kind of ask them, okay, what's come out in the past, you know, four months or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I usually, yeah, pick up stuff that's done by friends, like JP's uh, Winter Men, I think is another one of the, one of the best comics uh, out there that's also kind of, not a lot of people know about or are reading, um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's some stuff that I'll that I'll get, and then I, I buy stuff for the kids. Um, I've been buying that Mouse Guard comic for the kids. You know that That's, one? Yeah. I got. I picked up. I read the Jonah Hex because uh, it was done by uh, Jordy Bernay. Um, but it's the only Jonah Hex I've ever gotten. Though so I got it just 
If it doesn't have good art, I can't read it. You man after my own heart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's and I, I haven't read anything. Um, I picked up a uh, Dead Man by uh, John Watkins because I think he's a really good artist. I haven't read it yet. And something I just saw called Manifest Eternity. Oh, that's um, oh, who's um, just, uh, Dustin? Dustin Gwen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. And then I bought um, uh, Supermarket by uh, Brian Wood. Brian Wood, yeah. I thought that was a nice looking book too. So, so you know, I left the shop and was like, "Holy crap! I spent like thirty bucks." <laughs> so uh, that's, that's a lot for me at a at the comic shop. Can't get no is a really revolutionary book. Yeah, like I said, I'm only about halfway through it, and I, I just started it uh, a couple nights ago, and. Um, Oh, it's great. I, mean, I, I just, like I said, I'm just a big fan of Rick. He's, he's amazing. He manages to tap into this well of creativity. I just find the guy incredible. And pretty much the only man to follow Alan Moore and hold his own, if not top him. Mm-hmm. Because his, his Swamp Thing is every bit as good as Alan Moore's was. Yeah. Yeah, that was all I knew of Rick, really, and... and and uh, I thought that stuff was awesome. Yeah. And um, uh, but it, it wasn't it wasn't like real fresh in my mind when they offered me the the, the question with with Rick and and um, and I, I just kind of I'm so glad that I was able to work with him and kind of reintroduce me to how great he is. And what do you, what are some of your other favorite artists? You mentioned uh, Shaken. Yeah. Well, of of that time, you know, I mean, it being. You know, I mean, it was yeah, mid '80s were the form, form, you know, kind of formative years with with him, and you know, it was when Mignola started doing stuff, and and Simonson, and and uh, uh, I liked Matt Wagner when he was, you know, and then so a lot of that, you know, and everybody liked Dark Knight, and yeah, and and all that stuff at that time, so. Um, and and then there's some stuff that that I kind of even at that time I you know I still have never read you're gonna kill me that Rick Rick teases me about this uh, every time we talk is I've never read Watchmen and, <laughs> and Dave Gibbons goes out of his way to go to Batia and you never I know, know. <laughs> I know so so that's that's next on my list is I just mostly to get Rick off my back um, um, so there's a lot of stuff at that but though that was huge you know when. Uh, you know, end of junior high, early high school. Um, yeah. You know, so a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. Uh, uh, but it's kind of like, but a lot of my favorite artists, um, as far as influences and stuff like that, are also mostly non-comics. You know, so I mean, teachers that I had at school. There's a guy named Harry Carmian who was, uh, you know, a drawing teacher I had. He was, he's probably the biggest influence on my drawing. Um, you know, guys like Robert Fawcett and those Sickles and Toast and Kniff and those guys we talked about. But then, mm-hmm. you know, all these illustrators, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I had all Drew Struzan's posters hanging in my wall. And and then, um, you know, Bob Peake, all his movie posters, and, you know, Robert McGinnis. And, and you know, I've got a Bernie Fuchs hanging on my wall in my house right now. Oh, so, Bernie, Bernie's awesome. Yeah. So there's a lot of I got a Gary Kelly hanging on my wall here, and I got a bunch of I just look around my house, and then there's some you know, Miyazaki drawings from Totoro. So I kind of like everything. You mm-hmm. know? So, um, in my studio, I have art hanging up from friends like like JP and 
uh, Duncan Fergredo, and and then I nice. had uh, stuff from a guy named Herbert Morton Stoops, stuff that was done in the 1920s and 30s, uh, who was a guy who did illustrations for all the pulp magazines and and uh, adventure books, and did a lot of paintings and drawings during World War One for the government. So, um, so it was just kind of a yeah, just a bunch of stuff. Yeah. You're a Renaissance man. Uh, <laughs> well, I was lucky enough to go to a good school too. That 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 you know really was heavy into the, the classics, you know, classical drawing and painting, and really pushed the history of of American illustration. You know, so um, I taught a, uh, a workshop at the Savannah College of Art and Design a couple weekends ago, and um, and I actually have like a major in like comics and stuff. Um, and uh, but even there, I, I found that that a lot of the schools and a lot of the kids could really benefit from um, learning a lot more about about uh, other kinds of illustration besides whatever the hottest you know, manga is of the of the time. So, how does it feel to sell your work to George Lucas? <laughs> that must be such a trip. Well, it's mostly uh, at first it's great because it's like, wow, okay, you've been paid like this amount of, to do this job, you know, which is usually you know fair, not not awesome, not bad, but it's like okay, that's good. And then to sell the art and have that, then suddenly you realize, wow, this is like an extra sort of income that you can, you know, that that's like the first thought is like, oh, this is great, I can get that new dishwasher or. You know, or mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of stuff, and then it kind of hits you, kind of later, of um, of uh, wow, you know, it's actually you know going to the ranch, you know, and then and then I, I and then you find out that not only is it there, but it's framed and it's hanging in the walls of the ranch, and you know stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's really nice. It's great, um, especially like I said, being a fan of Star Wars. It's, since I was a little kid, so so yeah, it's great. I mean, that's why that's why whenever generally whenever anything comes up Star Wars related, um, I usually take the job because um, uh, uh, you know for the past I don't know since episode one really, um, uh, Lucas has been really really good good to me, giving me lots of good work and uh, um, and I, actually Star Wars is something that I know really well. Um, uh, I like understand it and know the universe really well. Um, even on like bullet points, I'm having to, you know, if I have to draw, even Spider-Man, I can't draw him out of my head. Even I mean, I have to like look at the comics and figure out, you know, like what these guys' costumes are and everything. Um, but uh, Star Wars is one of the few things that I actually uh, know pretty well backwards and forwards. That's your golden age. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was. That that was kind of like, uh, I mean, I read the Marvel uh, Star Wars comics when those were out. I, I just, yeah, I just really ate that stuff up. So, um, and that was yeah, Howard Chaykin. <laughs> the first one was. Yeah. 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 It's odd how things work out. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and then now, now with the new ones, uh, the new Star Wars stuff, that's kind of more my kids' Star Wars, you know. Um, yeah. So lots of times when I'm working on on like the new kind of prequel stuff, um, you know, having having my kids around and that and them into that stuff, that's sort of 
that's sort of the fun part of, of that now for me. So, where I had my Star Wars. <laughs> I'm trying to get my children into comic books too, but I have two girls and a boy, and the boy's not old enough yet, and it's a real hard sell with the girls. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I find that like certain kinds of subject matters uh, work pretty well. Uh, um, there's some neat stuff that like Scholastic has been doing. They just came out with these comics of uh, the Babysitters Club. Um, and uh, it's fantastic. I mean, my son uh, d- just devoured it, and they just came out with a new one. So I, it's nice. There is some, some cool stuff coming out here and there. Um, uh, my daughter, she's five. She can't quite read it herself yet, but, um, uh, but she likes this comic. Um, oh, God. I think, I think maybe Oni put it out, and it was about a girl pirate. Okay, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, like a little blonde girl, she's a pirate, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I find that there is some stuff out there that'll help get him into it. And, and then, I mean, I remember trying to read uh, Jack Kirby's uh, New God stuff to my son, and, and it just, like, it was going over my head. Um, <laughs> um, so, so uh, um, but then we picked up, uh, you know, Walter's uh, Orion stuff. Basically, it was from watching the Superman cartoon with Darkseid and everybody uh, that my son wanted to read stuff about the new gods. So we pulled out all the comics, and and uh, some of the citrus isn't quite accessible yet. But but Walter's uh, Orion stuff was I found a lot more accessible than uh, than the uh, than the old uh, Kirby stuff. Right. And Walter had an amazing run on Orion. Oh God, it's great. Yeah. Love that stuff. Yeah, it's really great. And that's another book that. You wonder why it's not still around. It yeah, w- it was at least he did collect uh, Orion, um, the ones that he was doing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to eventually. Hopefully, um, I assume they'll they'll collect his uh, new uh, Michael Moorcock Elric stuff. Once now that it's finally all out there. <laughs> yeah, oh, it took him quite a while to do that. Yeah, worth the wait though. Yeah, I believe it. Well, thank you very much for being with us. Oh sure, guys, yeah, and. I'll definitely make sure to get in touch with you uh, about that Galactus image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as soon as um, uh, uh, you know, they're they're you know, as soon as things become non-spoiler a little bit more, you know, I'll I'll, I'll probably be posting some stuff. You know, we've been doing a lot of online press for for Bullet Point, so so trying to keep interest up and keep it keep it going. You know, so. Yeah. You know, the image will probably show up eventually. So I, I finished uh, drawing it, and it took forever because mostly because of the buildings and everything. And then, and then my son really liked it, and then he said, um, "I said, yeah, it took me forever." He goes, "Yeah, now you get to color it." <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I, I actually uh, do get sick of, uh, <laughs> of the pages after a drawn them, inked them, colored them, you know, I'm, I actually do get a little sick of it, but, um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's, the trade-off is, is, uh, is, you know, it's worth it, let's put it that way. Okay. Well, we welcome you to come back whenever you feel it, the need. Great, well, thanks a lot, guys, I appreciate it, and let me know when the stuff's going up. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. All right, thanks for calling, guys. <laughs> This next song I dedicate to the late, great, 
Wild Man Fisher. <clears throat> My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I have an auntie. Her name is Aunt May. Hi, Aunt May. Yeah, I appreciate everything you've done for me, Aunt May. It's just that I wish you'd put something else on other than a, like a duster when I come over to visit. Okay? My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I had an uncle. His name is Uncle Ben. Sorry, Uncle Ben. My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I had a girlfriend. Her name was Gwen. You know, Gwen, that whole thing about the bridge and stuff? Sorry. My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I have a wife. Her name is Mary Jane. Hey, MJ. <laughs> My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I have a nemesis. His name is Norman Osborne. I don't like you very much. My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I have another nemesis. His name is Doc Octavius. You know Doc Ock. You know the guy who's so lucky. They call Doctor Octopus, and his name like is Otto Octavius. What are the chances? My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I have a boss. His name is J. Jonah Jameson. Hi, Mr. Jameson. You know, people would probably like you a lot more if you were nice. And you had a different haircut. You got rid of that Hitler mustache. Yeah, work on that. My name is Peter, my name is Peter, I had a black suit, it was a symbiote, yeah, I made that look good. My name is Peter, my name is Peter, I had a clone, his name has been Riley, yeah. Don't even start me on this whole clone thing. My name is Peter. My name is Peter. I have an acquaintance. His name is Iron Man. Listen, Tony. You know, give me the advice to take off the mask and stuff. Did you see what happened to me? Yeah, nice going there, Jack Daniels. Why don't you just help them... Hold me down while they shove a flaming pumpkin up my ass. Thanks. My name is Peter. 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 
Okay, we have a special guest in the Bullpen Bulletin's bunker with us tonight. It's Tony Guagliardo, a.k.a. Doombot on the forum. Hey, Tony. Hey, guys. How's it going? Not too bad. We're doing all right. All right. Good to finally uh, be joining you. Great for you to finally be here. All right. Well, it's about okay. damn time. All right. We finished <laughs> sucking up. Let's, uh, let's get started. <laughs> That's right. There you go. I want to address uh, one thing that was brought up on the forum before we get into the uh, discussion of Civil War Number 5. Radioactive Man asked, why do we concentrate on the art so much? Isn't the story just as important? It seems in all of the shows, the art is the focus. And, well, I'm an illustrator by trade, so I'd have to say that art's pretty much my life. And that's what I live and breathe, and that's what I concentrate on. So I guess, yeah, I have to admit the art is the major focus with me. I would definitely take a beautifully illustrated book that wasn't written all that well over the opposite any day. Well, I'm the opposite these days. I used to be that way, but um, with age, I've, uh, I've my focus has changed for the writing, actually. I'll definitely sacrifice art for a good story. I have shifted somewhat over the years. I mean, the first thing I see if I'm in a comic shop with a... I don't buy too many comics. Just buy the cover alone. Um, and I don't think I've done that since the 90s. But the... Um, if... The first thing I'm the first thing you see is the cover. The cover's drawn, the cover's not written. You don't I, I was all me and my friends, we followed artists around initially. George Perez, John Byrne, John Ramita. It the, these were certain artists that we always followed, regardless of what they were working on. And at the time, Byrne was strictly Marvel. Perez, even though I have some early Marvel work from him. He was on the J- Justice League of America and the New Teen Titans. Ramita was on Spider-Man. Um, you know, so you had you had Mark Bright was on Power Man and Iron Fist. So I had I had artists that I would follow. As time went on, and lately over the past few years, as artists need see, seem to need more and more fill-in issues, I've it, it's it's nice to get a creator that's dependable. And in this situation, it's the writer. The writer can get the books out month in, month out, whereas an artist is, might just be there for a story arc, might be there for some of a story arc, and then it gets finished by someone else. But if if I am going to follow writers, there are certain writers that I will pick up their book. doesn't matter who's doing the art. doesn't matter what the subject matter is. It, it This may be blasphemy. If, if I'm told Grant Morrison is going to write a story with art by like Matt Wagner and the story involves a Marvel and DC crossover or I come across a book by Christopher Priest and it's about Forbush Man and it's drawn by Fred Hembeck <laughs> I'm picking up that Priest written comic book. I love Matt Wagner and I'm sure the crossover would be amazing but there are just some writers that I will follow regardless over the art in this regard but to me comics are just a visual medium and I was drawn to the art first and that's kind of just where my heart lies. Just to get a, a little bit of an insight on how I approach comics before manga was really as widespread as it is now in the States back in the say early 80s I would take monthly trips to New York City 
and hit all the Japanese bookstores to get those really thick manga uh, anthologies. Now, which were all in Japanese. I couldn't read a damn word of it, but I would I would collect these things just to stare at the line work and the art and just, you know, a good storyteller would you would be able to convey what's going on the the the, the like the, the fi- not the finer points because you'd need the text for that. But you can get a kind of a overall picture as to what's going on in these things, but it didn't matter to me that I couldn't read them. It was it was the art the art the art's always been the major focus with me and the same thing with um european graphic albums i would buy you know the uh french or the things that heavy metal put out over in in europe and a lot of times those weren't in english either and i i that didn't stop me from buying them just because um i i I love the art I, i love the line the line is everything to me so you know that's where i'm coming from i think though that um these stories, what makes them so good, it is the finer points, so that that's, that places them above a mediocrity, you know? I mean, the art is can be solid and the story can be good, but it's those finer little detailed points that can only be relayed through the, the written word that elevates a story up to the next level. You're totally right. Well, but then can't you... But, but can't the, the, the converse be said, like, if... If, um, if well... Vince, like you were just telling me about Daredevil. I mean, you know, instead of Bendis hitting you over the head with writing something and and you know making a dialogue box diverting your attention to this painting on the wall, if that's something that Malief decided to put there, then and I'll let you paint the picture. You know that something like that. I mean that that's what you would need the artist for. I I. The, there's a splash page in Civil War number five with Punisher bringing in Spider-Man, and it's a homage to a Dale Keown image from a Hulk comic book. And I don't think Miller wrote in the script. I want you to reference this Incredible Hulk page from the late '80s, from the late '90s to, to uh, or the early '90s rather, to in in on this page. I, I think that was that was all McNiven, and. Those are the little nods, those are the little touches that I look for from artists in a comic book. And it's, it's, it's like, I mean, it's almost like it's an Easter egg, but it's like, it, it, that brings a smile to my face. I know exactly what, I mean, I love a Peter David written comic book. And I mentioned it earlier today on the forum. I'm buying X Factor because Peter David is writing it. The art originally in those initial issues were fantastic with Ryan Sook. Then you had Miss Calero come on really wasn't feeling the art, but I was sticking with it not only to get the rest of the story, but because Peter David was writing this comic book. Well, I mean, the medium is an amalgamation of words and pictures. And Absolutely. Let's be honest. But uh, And I'm not a Philistine when it comes to writing either. I do appreciate a well-written story and, uh, the, you know, the finer points of the the uh, writing are you I, I do appreciate when a, a writer will take, like Morrison, will go the distance and inject, you know, his work with various levels and various the mechanics of creating stories, you know, symbolism, illusion, all that. I, I, I do appreciate that and I love it. But to answer Radioactive Man's question, the art is the hook that draws me in and the story keeps me there. So... I I'm just trying to be honest. It it the art is the trigger for me. Nine times out of ten, it, it it's the art. So, 
Well, I get maybe his complaint is more with you guys as the host of the show. I, I, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody who uh, participates in the show feels as you do. Right. I mean, I, I don't. Maybe some others do, but um, you know, his complaint is is with you, I suppose. So um, yeah, as as is with most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not alone in that regard. Right, but I mean, in our defense, we ripped the hell out of Astonishing X Men, and it wasn't largely about the art. We That's we true. we That's we, right. we took that story apart. I think you know seven ways to Sunday. So I I like to cover all the bases, but. I am again. I, I have to be honest. It's the art for me, and right. and with David, it's it's uh, usually a, a sixty forty split, right? You would say that. No, I it I think it it uh, it's tipped a little more towards the art style. Okay, so six. But, but but yeah, I mean, it's not it's not it's not completely art, but it's um it 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 was my first love. It's what drew me to the medium. No pun intended. It's what uh, it's it's. I wanted to be an anchor. Art is what I love to look at. If I'm flipping through a comic book, it's easier for me to flip through and look at the art than it is to read a few panels. Yeah, so right. I mean, it's it, it is more so the art. I, I don't think I, I don't think sixty forty is 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 white. It is quite right there. It might be uh, between seventy thirty and, and maybe eighty twenty. Myself, I can't think of any title that I enjoy now that I would drop if an artist came on board that I didn't like. Um, okay, well, that's a good so, thing. Yeah, 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 it's good for me, I suppose. Anyway, and but then that but that goes into the whole, um, in, in my eyes, the fill-in issue. I mean, if if you're reading a story and everything is great, and there was a kick-ass creative team, and okay, like Vince pointed out earlier today, that Guggenheim and Ramos did a great job on Wolverine, and and their their final run ends this week with Wolverine forty-eight, and or the end of their run rather, and. Guggenheim is coming back to Wolverine at the end of the low Bianchi run, but unfortunately, according to Vince, or as Vince would say, unfortunately, Howard Shaken is joining him. So if Shaken decided to be a fill-in artist on the, Ramo- on, on the Ramos run, you would still, I mean, by your going by the writer, Tony, you would still buy it if you were following Guggenheim, whereas... I don't know if, if, if Vince would still go along with it because now he's got an artist that he doesn't particularly care for. Yeah, I would. I, I would stick with the book only because to side with Tony on this particular book, Guggenheim's presentation of the character was so strong and the events were so w- well done that, yeah, I'd stick with the book. I'd, I'd endure Howard Chaikin, but... You know, I love Chaikin's work. I, I His American flag was... A masterpiece. I just don't know where he's coming from these days. I really I don't, and it and it 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 saddens me. It really does because, um, Shaken is one of the first names out of my mouth when I think of good graphic storytelling. The guy's really really sharp, and it just seems like today. I don't know. Maybe he's getting old, or maybe he just his heart's not in it. But um, the Hawk Girl stuff, not so good. The the Blade stuff pretty solid so uh, it's it's a crapshoot when you get him anymore and and the, the the captain america issue of um new avengers the civil war um tie-in was uh, you know a little mix of, of of both it was okay but it wasn't his strongest stuff so uh, like i said i i would buy it though it did guggenheim he's impressed me very good very very good writer 
So, and you know, just to flesh this out a little more, to go back to my first comic book, Fantastic Four number forty-eight, when I was five years old, wasn't too adept at reading at the age of five, but I opened this comic and saw Jack's work, and it literally transformed me from thinking one way to thinking another. It changed the way I looked at everything. I, I, I saw, you know, Andy Warhol said everything's art, and I think Jack played a part in that. I saw that everything is a, something that's molded by human hands, and art is what I do, and Jack just hammered that point home, and I've never been the same. So it's, I'm I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm held by the art. I really am. Nothing wrong with that. No, I, I guess not. But there, if if it was just pretty pictures, it would be a an art book and not a a, a, a sequential narrative. So you're right. right. Yeah, they go hand in hand, and all of us lean one way or the other. You know, no one's split exactly down the middle. Everybody has a uh, you know a preference. So it's just a matter of opinion. Yeah, that's right. And nobody's wrong. You're wrong. Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Um, moving along, I have to congratulate forum poster Marcus Q for winning the no prize number three. He caught me in a major blunder, faux pas, I guess you can call it. I have this weird tendency to switch Kirkman and Brian K. Vaughn whenever I'm talking about comics, like I'll attribute... Um, Why the Last Man to Kirkman and as I did in episode 9 I attributed Doctor Strange to Kirkman when it's really the work of Brian K. Vaughn and I guess I did it I haven't gone back to listen to it because I don't uh, I don't go backwards (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess I attributed the entire review to uh, Robert Kirkman, and uh, so I apologize for my mistake, and that was really stupid, but like I said, it's a weird thing. I, I always, always do it. Vaughn and Kirkman, I switch them up in my mind all the time. I don't know why. Maybe because their work is very similar. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, can you tell, it's difficult sometimes to tell one writer, if you're not told who the writer is on a book and you just start reading it, can you tell? I, I can't tell. I know with an artist in, I can well, tell. But in, in some case, I mean, I think I think Vince would be able to point out a Morrison written book yeah. over a um, over a Fabian written book, or or a uh, I don't know anybody. I mean, a Claremont written book. I mean, even though I mean, it might they might still be dense, but Claremont definitely has a different way with words than than Morrison does. Yeah. I think Morrison paints a more vivid picture. Claremont wants to make sure you know everything that's going on in that image. But if someone gave you a book blind and you didn't know, they told you nothing about who the writer might be, you'd be able to pick them out, you think? You'd be able to identify. If it's an established writer or if it's, yeah, if it's yeah, a yeah. writer that, that, that I've written before, then I... I think so. I think I can. I think I can tell when Priest has written a book. I think I can tell when Mike Barron has written a book. I think I can tell when, when um, Bendis. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. You can definitely tell when Bendis has written a book. After uh, finishing Runaways today, even though I haven't read much in the way of Vaughn, I might have a tough time. But I can kind of get an. I, I have a feel of how he's writing the characters. David Peter David, you can really tell because he's just he he. He injects so much humor into the book that you can tell when he, and a lot of it is sarcastic humor. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of pick up on that based on the way my family brought me up. 
I mean, it's not it's not meant to be a bragging thing. It's not meant to. It's it's just if if you know, and and I'm not even saying if you know the medium, then you must know. I mean, it's it it depends on how engrossed you are into what 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 you're reading, what you're looking at, and and if you know some people, like, you know, you have horse whispers. You know, some people could just have the ability to do great things with with just a little bit of information or. They're very handy with gadgets, or they can fix a car. They can do mostly anything. I, I just, I, I can pick up on certain creators on on certain things. I think it's easier to judge a work by the overall ideas than it is to the way the words are strung together. Now, if you're talking like traditional writers, you can pick out a William Burroughs written piece in a second. You you, you can pick out, uh, say, a Bukowski or even a Stephen King just by the way the words are put together but in comics it's a lot different you you have to look at not so much as the way they're saying it as what they're saying the ideas like you can pick out Morrison very easily because not many people touch on the subjects that Morrison does or the mm-hmm. the concepts that he does and and whereas with Bendis it's not so much the what he says but it's the way he writes dialogue that's a big tip off for me yeah me too he has a certain meter and a certain rhythm to his his dialogue that this has um bendis to me and the same thing with warren ellis warren ellis writes very distinctive dialogue you know he doesn't have to say fucktard for me to know that it's warren ellis but it helps but you know and then you have writers like Steve Gerber in the old days who were the equivalent of Morrison he would be very very political and very sarcastic and you knew that that was Gerber but in again back in the old days you had guys like Gary Friedrich who would start off each story with this little triptych it would say like night blah 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 our character you know is walking at night and he's doing this and it would say rain and he's pelted by rain, blah, blah. And then it would say cold. You know what I mean? He always had this this three-beat intro to every one of his stories. So you would know that that's a Gary Friedrich story. But it, it's, it's uh, in, in um, your defense, it's a lot more difficult today to pick out a writer. Because stylistically, there's only so much you can do with words. And, you know, if you string them together... In a, in a certain way. There's a lot of guys out there that are stringing stuff together that way. It's just the ideas that are generated by these words are very unique to the writers. And uh, nowadays, uh, with comics, you're only reading what the character's speaking. There's no um, right. little, uh, what are they called, exposition boxes. Right. It was a lot easier way back when. Marvel Wolfman, you could pick out Wolfman stuff in a second. But yeah. today, you don't have that that uh, a lot of the caption boxes like we did back then. I sound like an old man, don't I? <laughs> but um, I think we're all the same age, roughly. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you do sound like an old man. And, and thanks. And uh, you know, Vaughn and Kirkman—they are a little, I, more than a little. I think they're a, a very similar. But Kirkman writes snappier dialogue and. You know Vaughn, but I mean Vaughn's dialogue's not bad either. So what the hell am I talking about? Um, well, just differences, not yeah, better than the other, just differences. Right, but that's a well, that was a good little uh, 
discussion there. We don't usually see. We should have you on more often. We don't. <laughs> Damn writer friendly son of a. <laughs> well, we okay. We thank Tony and and we definitely thank thank right. Mike, thank Radioactive Man for uh, for even prompting it. But uh, I hope night, I hope it answered his question. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Always leave him wanting more, Tony. That's right. Um, I mean, and and anytime. Anybody wants to ask us anything about, well, why this artist? Then you know, give us a ring because I, I'll, I, I can't speak for Vince, but you want to talk art, then I'm, I'm there. You can do so by jumping on our forum at bullpenbulletinspodcast.com. And I have to say, I, I'm getting the impression that a lot of people are a little bit reluctant to either comment on the forum or call the buzz line because if the numbers we're getting back from Libsyn are correct, there's a lot more people listening than there is people commenting on the forums. And well, I think uh, the bar is set kind of high now. You've got all these witty guys on the forum and on and your buzz line that no one wants to call up with an average phone call at this point. Everybody wants to you know, at least be half as funny as the guy before, you know. So that's that's <laughs> one problem right. that I see. But but you need those areas of calm to offset the areas of chaos. It's like a paint, yeah, that's true. It's like a painting. If you have uh, just an eruption of stuff all over the place, it's going to look like a Jackson Pollock painting. But if you have little areas where your eye can rest, or your ear in this case, that's that's what it's all about. So I wouldn't be reluctant to... To call and, and, and give and a no comment. One has to, no one has to top anybody. I mean, if, if you just want to speak your mind, if you just want to, you know, say, well, I think, you know, I mean, we could have we could have one person say, I think Braxton's impressions were the best thing on the episode, and then somebody can call in and say, yeah, you really need to do something about Braxton. And yeah. first of all, I loved Braxton's impressions. Man, those, I was... Laughing my ass off on the way to work. I, when you I, still I like Braxton? Those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, man, those were some great, great impressions. I have a, con- so. a contract drawn up that I'm going to present him with this week, so we're going to get him locked down. He's only going to be able to do those for us. But <laughs> I um, hope so. Exclusive. And that better be. And another thing, I like. I like to think that I'm a pretty easy person to talk to, and I have n- absolutely no ego at all. If you call me out. And I'm wrong, man. I'll be the first one to admit it. I, because you're not going to learn anything if you don't examine your beliefs and the way you, you know, the way you think. So, uh, yeah, I like to question myself, and I like when people question me because then that gives me a, an idea of you know if I'm anywhere near the mark. So, yeah, get on there, talk to us. Well, do you think also maybe you know? Um our peers were kind of we're not really a social bunch where you know we're kind of um i don't want to stereotype here but i feel i must that we're you know we're all kind of a bit uh almost anti-social in a way we're all sitting at home reading comics you know but i i think we have so many people that are listening or are participating in this and there's so many different and there are so the pod especially the comic podcast community has grown over the past year that I don't think we're the social misfits that we're used to being known as. I mean, we, you know, yeah, you can you can get an idea by someone in a letters page going, "Well, Jesus Christ, he still lives in mom's basement." But right? I think I think you know, Vince is married with kids, has a house. I'm married, have a house. Tony is 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 a very well-to-do guy. He lives in the city. I mean, you know, you're not going to find some 
every you know, I'm, well, okay, the city might not be a great example. There are some social misfits walking around New York City, <laughs> but I don't, I, I don't think we are the the outcasts people. Like, yeah, I don't because the the. It's it's like when people were saying over the past few years, it's like yeah okay, you know the nerd in high school is the guy bossing around is is the bully from high school's boss, and and the bully's either you know slinging fries or pumping the nerd's gas, and I, it, it's where in the hell are you going with this? I don't know. <laughs> I was hoping someone would rein me in. No, I don't you. think I don't think we are the misfits or the outcasts that we used to be. I mean, I, I've i never gone to a convention dressed up as Worf or as Luke Skywalker. I mean, I've never... I I kind of shy away from attention if, 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 like, I don't know how red my face turned when Bruce said, hey, and David Price finally showed up at CGS 200. Yeah. I just kind of had my head down, walked over, shook everybody's hands, and sat down behind Vince. So, and Vince, the back of your neck is lovely, by the way. But the, oh, I just, man. I, I almost braided it, but the, the, uh, all right, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> the, I, I don't, I, I don't think, I do not think we are the, uh, the, the outcast that, or the misfits that people deem us as. Right. Well, we're, we're grown men reading comic books. I mean, I mean, as, as, uh, as opposed as much to grown happy men to watching that, guys running up and down a field, following a ball, wearing tights. Or you know, I mean, I I'd rather read a comic book than watch grown men in helmets try to beat the crap out of each other. Oh, I certainly would too. But I mean, isn't there a, a part of you in the back of your mind that says that's a little bit embarrassed about admitting that fact? No, no, not anymore. No, and uh, and actually, I I did I t- talked about this with with Ian on an episode of Comic Timing where where we had where where we also talked to Peter Rios and. I have my family knows I love comic books. Um, my father, my father was was instrumental in getting me involved in comic books because he would read the comic strips in the newspaper and show me the strips. Um, he it's it's because of him that I I, uh, I spoke to Mark Texier on the phone. Um, my aunt gave me a ton of old comic books because her former law partner's mother would go to flea markets, get the comic books, give them to my aunt, my aunt would give them to me. My grandparents, my, I went to the um, to the newsstand with my grandfather and, and played around on the spinner rack to, to find a comic book or two that I could bring home. So my family knew. My friends, once I found friends that were also in, into comic books, I had a circle of friends. At first, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit down in math class and, you know, Flip open Amazing Heroes or the latest issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and then you know the, I I might expect because people don't know me, I might expect to get pointed at or ridiculed there. But once I knew that there were other people around me that also enjoyed comic books, I opened up to them. My wife has absolutely no qualms about me loving comic books. She reads Strangers in Paradise. She 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 has her comic books that she enjoys. Um, Eventually, she's going to read the 100 Bullets trades that I got her. So, I mean, I, I have people, my neighbors know I enjoy mm-hmm. comic books. So, I met my coworkers. I have my little action figures that are on my desk. My coworkers are like, oh, did you see this latest comic book related movie? So, But your coworkers well, can, can know that you're retarded, too, friends. Or, I, I shouldn't use that word. <laughs> no, they no, they can know that there's something wrong with you. I mean, it doesn't make the point totally, you know? Yeah. I, I've never been embarrassed of my. My nerdiness as far as comic books go. Um, in fact, I 
take that inner nerd and give him a big old hug every day and <laughs> maybe a little reach around too because I'm 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 very 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 comfortable with the fact that I read comic books. Um I remember something that happened in grade school in English class. Um it's it's kind of sort of related to comic books. It's in the same ballpark, but um we were discussing Frankenstein and the teacher asked does anyone know who wrote the original novel? And I knew, and I answered, and the teacher said, well, how did you know that? And I said, because it said so in Famous Monsters of Filmland. And I took a merciless verbal assault from my, my, my friends and, and who people who weren't my friends because I read Famous Monsters of Filmland. And you know what? I didn't give a shit. I don't care. Didn't care then, don't care now. I, uh, it, it, this is who I am, and if anybody doesn't like it, you know, don't waste your time on me. But yeah, well, you I, both have a healthy attitude towards it. I think. Oh yeah, I'm just trying to justify it in my own mind, so that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> I, you know, anybody, you're a good-looking guy. You don't have to be uh, uh, embarrassed about anything. I mean, that's who you are, man. Love it. Yeah. But as far as the forum goes, and your your comment about you know we're all social outcasts and we may be a little hesitant to get into a group situation you put a hundred monkeys in a room it's not going to stop them from masturbating you know what i mean monkeys are going to do what monkeys are going to do and i i think that's what not that we're all monkeys on the forum well some of us are but um you know it, and, and none of us are masturbating at the moment well you don't no, you no, can't no, 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 oh no i'm you, not at least i can for myself i am swaying a little bit but um you know, people will be people in 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 any situations. They just need to, that little social lubricant to get them in there. And whether it's a half decent podcast like ours, or the fact that they love comic books, and yeah, stop on over and let's talk. That's what it's and there for. Also, let's say that you know, the, your comic, your uh, podcast, it's still relatively new. It's still young, isn't it? It's in infancy. Yeah. So as you know, as the weeks go by, you're going to get more and more. You must have seen the numbers growing already, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Um, give it time, patience, you know? I was a little bit discouraged with the first, say, two, but uh, with the third one up, it just, yeah, it's it's getting there. I'm, and I'm even, happy. Even the first, even the first two were still inching their way up. I mean, we I, I looked at it the other day, and I, I'm still seeing, people are still checking out early episodes so but when you check the numbers you run the risk of that becoming the goal to get the numbers up and like i couldn't care less what the numbers were i just want to get those i want to get that foundation built and wherever it goes from there i could not care less i'm doing this because i love it and i have a half decent partner in this so you know just half these. <laughs> no, I got I got the best partner anybody can have, but um, that's the it's the joy of actually talking about comic books that keeps me going, not the number of people I can reach. I'm David's the same way, you know. Who cares? Look, we you know I would never have met you without this podcast. So there's a plus. I would never have met you know Jefferson and and uh, Big Slanky Jerk and and everybody on the forum. Yeah. It's just. That's what it's all about. Oh, <laughs> 
John and and take a look at um, Civil War number five. If everybody's done, anybody else have anything to say on that? Uh, I'm finished. There you go. How about you, David? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Any anything I want to say, I can go on the forum about anyway. There you go. BullpenBulletinsPodcast.com. Love it. As I said last episode, my good friend Dan C sent me three hardcover volumes of the Bendis Malev Daredevil run. Or Maleev. I That's one name I, I say different every time I, I pronounce it. Let's just say Maleev. He sent me volumes 2, 3, and 4. And I have to admit, after reading volume 2, which contains um, issues 26 to 37, that's the underboss and out storylines, I am a complete moron for not buying this when it originally came out. This is some of the most entertaining well-written, beautifully drawn, just amazing comics I have ever read. Like in any artistic endeavor, there are times when the muse points at the artist and laughs, and then there are times when she flashes this sly little grin 
licks her finger and crams it straight up the artist's ass, and I think this is definitely what this is. This is a masterpiece. He was ble- Bendis and Malev, Malev were blessed by the muse on this. It is amazing. So, Dan, i got to thank you for sending me this. But the point of my whole discussion here is, after reading 26 to 37, I cannot believe how eerily similar this is some of the events in this are to what's going on in Civil War. It's it's almost scary. In, ish, in issue 27, Bendis has two cops sitting in a squad car. One's a rookie, one's a, what we'll assume to be a seasoned veteran, and the rookie turns to the, the older man and says, say Spider-Man drops down and he's got the scorpion with him. What do we do? Uh, how do we know that that's Spider-Man in the costume? Do we arrest him? You know, do we take him in? What do we do? And the older guy, you know, tells him, well, we can't use Spider-Man as an example because he's wanted, blah, blah, blah. So the conversation moves to Captain America. And the younger guy says, how do we know that that's Captain America, not some wacko in a suit? Is there a way of telling? Are these people, you know listed somewhere and the the cop the older cop said well he has the avengers security clearance card so he's in fact documented and i get that's the whole gist of the discussion was how do we know is there any way of telling that these people are who they say they are which ties into the registration act in in civil war it's but that's only the first part in 26 there's a contract out on Matt Murdock. I won't go into the specifics for those who haven't read it, but the first costumed criminal that tries to take a shot at Matt Murdock is Nitro. And he detonates himself in front of a courthouse, killing innocent civilians in the process. So, I mean, it it mirrors the Stanford incident a little bit because it's Nitro. But the thing that really got me in issue 36... Again, not to give anything away, um, Matt Murdock is having dinner with the Kingpin's wife, Vanessa, and she gives Murdock a piece of information. She, she in, in effect, turns somebody over to him. She gives somebody up. And I'd swear there's a painting hanging behind the, on the wall next to them when they're eating, and I'd swear it's a picture of Jesus and Judas. <laughs> Before recording this podcast, I had sent a message to Alex Maliev asking him who, in fact, it was in that painting. And I knew it was an El Greco, thanks to countless dollars spent on art history lessons. But I wasn't sure who the biblical figures were depicted in the painting. And unfortunately, I didn't receive the email until after we had recorded this episode. So, in fact, it's not Jesus and Judas in the painting. It's Peter and John. So, anything I have to say after this point, don't believe me, because I'm wrong. Thank you for your time. And if there's anything that ties into Civil War Number 5, it's Daredevil and, and the whole concept of Judas. So, this is a weird kind of synchronistic events that go on in my life. Why... Did I have to read this right after reading Civil War number five? It, it, it I mean, it's just plain creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going through these these issues and just enjoying them, and these little things would pop up, and I said, "Hey, you know, that's kind of similar to what's going on in Civil War." And then the the whole discussion about 
determining the 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 identity or the the validity of heroes and then the judas image it's it's bizarre it's weird so you know thanks dan for shaking me up a little bit but i gotta thank bendis and malev for doing this if you haven't read bendis's run oh my god get get out there and get it it is unbelievable i'll have to pick those up yes you will love it and Maleev's art is just a joy to look at. What it, is he doing now? Do you know? That's a good question. So I'd be uh, interested in picking is. that up, whatever he's doing. Because Michael Lark's on the book now. Yeah. And he's in the same ballpark as, as Maleev. It's, it's, his art's fairly similar and just as, as accomplished. But mm-hmm. it, this, it's, I don't want to gush, and, but, I mean, it deserves it. It's really, really good. So now we got that little segue out of the way. Let's get into Civil War number five. Let's. What are the high points for you people? Well, Go ahead, Tony, of, you're the guest. Well, the return of Punisher, for one. Hasn't he been... Uh, took mine. <laughs> he reveals that he's the guy under the um, uh, the stocking cap or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, or the, the ski mask. Or, yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of anticlimactic when he... When he Revealed that. I mean, yeah, that wasn't exactly a subtle. I mean, it's like there were a couple of times where um, Miller made sure that things that have been going on over the past few issues, they're just going to have the character tell you that. I mean, you had Frank Castle saying, "I've been following you around for months in a ski mask." It's like, okay, <laughs> well, thanks for. I mean, you know, I mean, we're not all that dense, right? But <laughs> right. when you, when you think about it, it's a seven issue series. And there have been some delays. At, right, but that's the format. It's a seven-issue, say, the 22-page series, so space is at a premium. For Miller to, you know, do it in any other way than have the Punisher say, yeah, that was me, whether he did a little flashback or, you know, I mean, that's, to me, wasted space when he could just have done what he did what he did uh, just have punisher say you know i'm the guy in this in the in the ski mask that was a lot of criticism for that saying it was too abrupt or it was just an offhand remark just to tie up a loose end but i don't see how he could have done it any other way and present the information as well as it was presented i would have cut down the shot of the 42 prison a bit I don't think that needed a double page, but it was effective yeah. at, as a double page. Yeah. But yeah, you know, like let's not get too demanding. When I mean, it, he he set up a pin with the whole guy in the ski mask, and he knocked it down in in this issue. It, it, I don't think it needed any more than that. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, I guess I was just hoping for more, you know, intrigue or some more more mystery. I didn't expect it to be. That simple, yeah. That blunt, or, right. or yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do. I understand what you're saying, Vince. I mean, when you when you when you boil it down to, this is what we have to work with. I can, I can see that. I just, it's a, um, it, it it stood out a little bit, especially. I mean, and and um, and I know you asked for high points, but I, I another another part that I wasn't thrilled with was uh, was Reed talking to Jen Walters and I, I wasn't real thrilled with, with the words that were coming out of, of Reed's mouth. Right. I mean, just, I, he can be absent-minded or he can be just plain dumb sometimes, but what he was saying in this episode was just like, it, it completely I, I don't know. 
just to argue with myself a little bit here as far as the Punisher thing goes. All right, Ben um, Miller solved that requirement in one dialogue um, balloon, but did he have to take three to show Sue and Johnny in their alternate guises? Did that really need three panels? So I guess maybe the whole abruptness associated with the Punisher's revelation is valid because like I said does that need three panels I don't know to to show Sue and, and Johnny no because you're right I mean they, they you see them watching watching S.H.I.E.L.D. go by and they're talking and then they make sure that they say that um, that they're not real thrilled with the fact that Fury got them husband and wife guises and then while they're saying this we see them walk into the secret headquarters and then coming through an elevator door and, right. and they're announced. So you're right. I, I can see I can see what you're saying with that. Does it matter that Fury got them husband and wife guises? I mean, I wouldn't mind reading that book, but you know, <laughs> you're not alone there. But I, I think to me that I think is just Miller's sick mind kind of right. working that in. I think he just threw that in. It, it Maybe desperate times require desperate measures it's something along those lines but i don't see how that would plus, imp- plus impact I mean, the story Maria at all. hill's going to be if, if anybody's going to be looking for you know who would think that uh, they, they probably are going to guess that read that that sue and johnny are in in disguise have seek have have new identities but they probably wouldn't think that they'd be under secret identities of a husband and wife. So that can also just be to throw anybody's suspicion off. Yeah, but they look so different that no one would know that they were husband and wife or Johnny and Sue anyway. I mean, they just look like a brunette and a guy with black hair. So they could well, be one, they could be Siamese sorry. twins, and it doesn't really matter as far as you know people pegging them as two members of the Fantastic Four. Okay. So their appearance has been altered, so it doesn't really matter what their their roles are, really. Unless there's a, a plan down the road somewhere, down the roadway, where he, where Miller is going to have them uh, be forced to get romantic or kiss or something, or you know, embrace <laughs> lips. You know, you know, it's this is just the uh, speaking of embrace. That opening um, panel where Johnny's flying off with Sue. That yeah. looks like two lovers in an <laughs> embrace. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's a little and uh, and, hard and the yeah. whole and the and then on the following page where Sue's back is arched and Johnny's holding her and they're flying. Yeah. Stri- that's a little. I mean, maybe just because it's Sue. I mean, Sue'd be erotic to me. It's a sexy pose. It is. Know. It is yeah. covered in you know poop. I would still take a stab at Sue, <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah. Again, it's Miller's little sly little. Goofiness, I I appreciate it, but again, it's not. I don't think it's a requirement of the story. It's a nice little. Unless there's a payoff down the road somewhere, right? Maybe he's we, setting us up for something. You could be right. We we don't know until the mm-hmm. the fat lady, you know, yodels. But there, yeah, you have it. And I I really like the way McNiven and company plotted this issue out because you have a, a nice burst. You have an initial like big splash, then you have a nice burst of 
let's say small panels and then you you know you have some medium panels in that spider-man page where tony's firing at him with the repulsor ray i really like that page yeah that that's a nice little i mean you can almost get the beats of the of the fight you know it's 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 happening very quickly and because he basically says one word in each panel which you know how long it takes you to say one word he's moving pretty damn fast yeah um and then he smacks his face into the window which which and and i said to you earlier that um okay maybe it's the heat of the moment he's trying to get away but this is avengers hq he lives here why would he think he could just break out the goddamn window and escape why would he not realize that this has to be he's working for tony stark the man is iron man he's built all these weapons but i'm going to be able to break through this glass and get away but in where else in you know just to play the opposite end where else would he go he can't go up he can't go down then then why not have why not he's smarter than this why not have stark why not have iron man blast the glass right lead him into a position where he jumps out of the way way he doesn't look like an idiot right yeah that could have been it could have been accomplished the same way because in the panel where peter says myself that could have been taken out with the repulsor ray smashing the window and on the bottom he could have been jumping out the window which would have left let's see a whole page to flesh out the punisher sequence a little bit right yeah it's a wasted opportunity it seems yeah i mean he's blasting walls it's just you're right i mean but and i'm not i'm not trying to play monday morning quarterback i'm just i no. mean they, 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 we we've talked about if if Miller has been writing these characters the way we're used to these characters being written over the past 20, 30, 40 years and in this issue I think it's a little bit more apparent that some of the characters are reading a little off so these are just little th- I, I haven't read the past couple issues of Amazing Spider-Man yet they're on hold for me, they're waiting for me to pick them up so I did not read the um, the there was a there was a Spider-Man, Iron Man battle or, or or disagreement what have you in the latest amazing wasn't there that i do believe that comes out tomorrow right okay it, well it, or was it iron man I, I know there was an iron man issue that shipped recently yeah 13 yeah. so i don't know so i mean either way I, I think this what we're seeing in in the first couple pages of civil war here i think happens in one of the other characters books so we might get a different look There's, on there's a little tussle in Amazing, the the okay. last issue that shipped, but it shipped so long ago, you know, okay. I, I I don't remember. Yeah, I don't and, remember either. <laughs> and 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 I think it's gone on record that Straczynski's not a fan of like rewrites. So if 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 Miller wrote this, and it may have because Miller wrote, so, and even Jenkins has been writing Reed in Frontline and Miller in in Civil War a little differently than Straczynski's been writing Reed in Fantastic Four and. When we read, uh, I want to say, okay, yeah, we 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 read the thing. Says he's on he's on Yancey Street and he's he's done. He's leaving the country. The next issue that came out was Civil War number four. Sue writes the letter, says goodbye to Reed. Uh, the next issue of Fantastic Four that came out after Civil War number four. Reed and Sue are discussing things mm. and she leaves 
And then Thing comes in and Ben tells Reed, oh, you and Susie had a fight. Oh, and she's not coming back. And Reed just says goodbye. So I think if, if some of the writers were on the, um, were on the same page more, then this might have felt more, I don't know, cohesive. It, it might have flowed a little better. But mm-hmm. because you have some writers that are either stubborn or just don't want to rewrite or figure, listen, this is the way I wrote my comic book. You work it out. I, I, I can't say. Um, I'm just, some of the characters are just a little off. Yeah, Isn't but, there a, uh, an overall editor for all the Civil War tie-ins? I don't I because let's see Axel Alonso I think is the editor for Spider-Man I don't know who the editor is for Fantastic Four yeah so I but mean, I can I, find out it seems like that would be the job of the editor to make sure that everything oh by know, all absolutely lines up, you know? absolutely Not necessarily the same, the these are the same editors that also should have uh, made sure that there were no delays I th- right. I, I think that's a a little bit. I don't want to say nitpicky, but I think that's a little going into it too deeply. Does it matter that you don't know the exact timeline that she gave him the note? Do you know? No, 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 no. But no. I'm, you're right. The the the, uh, the meshing of the various books could be a little more, uh, could be a little tighter, but. I think having that scene that was in Fantastic Four was more beneficial to the events of the story than just replaying what happened in Civil War number four. Mm-hmm. You know, it added a little bit more of the tension between the two, and right. and it showed me that Susie will go as far as destroying her home to get away from this guy. Right. So, you know, I, oh, no, I, had, I, I, was, I had no problem reading it in Fantastic Four. It's where it should have happened. Right. I, I was thankful for the scene. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. There there could be a little tighter synergy. But in a, something like this, where you have your, basically your entire publishing output, with the exception of a couple titles, telling the events of one story it's got to be difficult i mean i've you know i feel for the guys it must be a nightmare to uh track and 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 just map out this whole thing but yeah we have to cut them some slack yeah oh, they've sure. been they've been doing a really good job so far oh i'm enjoying the series overall it's just, dude, oh, it's just when you kind of fine-tune it and examine it closely that you see the holes but overall i think it's i'm really having a good time with it <laughs> This is Braxton Collin with a real quick Scott Summers, a.k.a. Cyclops, impression for the show. Hey, Gene. Quit fucking around with Wolverine. I know that I'm slim, and you can never see my eyes and look me in the eyes, but quit fucking around with Wolverine. Thanks, that was my Scott Summers impression. My favorite part of this issue, going back to my love of symbolism and and multiple levels, it's definitely the whole Daredevil sequence with the coin under the tongue and and the whole Judas symbolism. And as as um, Darth Kramer pointed out, it works on a bunch of levels because not only does it represent the thirty pieces of silver that. Judas got for betraying Jesus. It also represents in days of old that 
corpses were buried or laid out with coins under their tongue to pay Sharon for the trip across the river sticks into the underworld which you know daredevil's heading into hell as far as he's concerned right so that's the part that really clicked with me because you have the best of both worlds with this you have balls out action spider-man getting his head handed to him naturally the punisher there's nothing says action more than the punisher and then you have this neat little symbolic deliverance of daredevil into the hands of the enemy which is really neat Mm -hmm. love it yeah absolutely i mean yeah i think i think my highlight would be uh aside from aside from the great shots of of punisher and the uh and del keon nod the um seeing spider-man finally just say i can't deal with this and 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 bounce him i just think that uh we all knew it was coming. Yeah, it wasn't and a it, surprise. It, no, and it um, it it looked. Uh, I I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the sequence. I, I mean, aside from him pulling a wily e. coyote into the window, I, I thought it was a uh, you know I thought him realizing that this is what he's got to do. That was it, and now he's going underground. Perfect. I I, I have no problems with that. Maria Hill showed that you know she's continuing to be a bitch, and the uh, there was, and oh, what about uh, what about Tigra? Yes, I never trusted her. Never? I, I, no, no. There's something about the character. She's right. she that is a typical epitome of a cat. I don't like cats. They're they're, they're very one sided beasts. They're very self centered, and that is it's perfect that they chose her to be the uh the double agent it that did that works for me they're very cold calculating emotionless animals i know the cat lovers are gonna write in i know i'm sorry i don't like cats um i i think that was a masterstroke to make uh tigra a little untrustworthy like that well more than a little but ultimately, they're all heroes, aren't they? And they've all fought side by side, so it, it doesn't it doesn't ring true for me. And I, I realize you need somebody in that position, but I don't know. It doesn't seem... Well, I'm thinking back to when she was on the West Coast Avengers, and even when she was on the Avengers proper, I, I never really... I mean, yeah, I, I think I think it's the right character to, to, to be the double agent. I've... Um, you know, it's not like I've ever seen her. I, I, it's easier for me to believe her than say Wonder Man, than say Luke Cage, than you know, say anybody else out there. I mean, at least at least Nighthawk and Stature went and joined the the registration side, and you know, for Tigra to, I think Tigra's also perfect because she's kind of not. If if Cap isn't, if, if Cap trusts her then why should anybody else and she's just she's got that shady was she, she not like Hawkeye she was never a criminal right um I don't, know. I don't really I don't recall no I know she used to walk around Avengers Mansion naked I remember <laughs> that but um as as you can be with a full body of fur right other than her being um a criminal I don't remember but it's interesting that you brought up Nighthawk. 
I think I definitely think there's something going on with Nighthawk. I think he is not entirely faithful to Tony's side either. Be- oh, right. Because if you have read recent issues of Thunderbolts, Nighthawk is not above switching teams to benefit the greater good. So, um, and uh, if you want to, you know, learn more about that, definitely pick up the last couple issues of Thunderbolts. They're really solid. But he's he's working for, you know, the lesser of two evils, and so he's no he's proven in that series that he can, you know, play the bad guy when it suits the the bigger picture. So maybe this is what he's doing here. Do you think the majority of these heroes are their allegiance is with? Um, uh, Cap or or the side of the law that they've chose. I mean, do you think if if Cap was pro registration, they'd all side with him, or, or you know, where is their allegiance? I'm is hoping it to the cause, or is it to the men? I'm hoping they're to the cause. See, I'm hoping their allegiance is with themselves. Well, but I think, but that's that's I'm that's what they feel. That's right. if, if if that's with themselves, and that's and they feel that. Registering is wrong, then then that's to me that that's the same. I, I'm looking at being true to themselves and and being true to this side as the same thing. I don't. It could be Iron Man in anti-registration, and I would still think that these same heroes would, or most of these heroes, or they would follow the anti-registration side. It wouldn't matter who who was leading the the rally. Right. Say say you were Daredevil, one of the most honest pure souls in the Marvel Universe basically devoted uh, the majority of his the majority of his adult life to helping those in need and you were told one day that you have to give us well bad example as far as Matt Murdock goes but let's just say not a lot of people know um, that you were you had to give up your identity and register with us or we're going to throw you in jail we're going to take all of that good that you did and totally ignore it and incarcerate you because you won't comply with our requests. What would you do? Same thing with Captain America. You fought for your country, died in effect, came back and fought for your country again uh, at the expense of your partner and your friends and, and a lot of people you loved. And we're going to ignore that unless you know you register with us and uh, if you don't, we're going to incarcerate you. Well, Cap- yeah, I think most of the readers are siding with Cap just for that reason. You know, we're siding right. with the man hmm, the, who's, the, who's served his country, not necessarily the cause, you know? Right. There, there has to be... I, I, that's the whole thing with Tony Stark's argument that doesn't ring true to me. It's the law. Yeah, but the law is not exactly correct in every instance. There's not... The, the law benefits the rich and the powerful. So, yeah. have you read uh, the latest Iron Man? Though? No, I. You kind of get his side of the story a little bit, and you feel for him a little more. I came away, which was another thing that was a long time coming. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, we exactly. Need, we need. I mean, would it have? Would it have? Um, do you think, knowing his side of the story now, Tony? Do you think that if, if you read this when Civil War was first ramping up, that you might have been able to say? You know, now these two sides really have valid arguments, and and now I'm I'm really torn. I mean, I think initially a lot of us were like, "Oh, well, no, we're going with Cap," just because so many, so many points of view were presented 
mm-hmm. for the for, for the for the anti-registration side, and I think a lot of people were like, "Oh no, no, well I'm going to wait to see what Iron Man has to say, and and then I'll <laughs> be able to make my decision." But to me, I I, I will read the Iron Man. I, I am curious to, to get that point of view, but I still I think my my initial reactions to the fact that registering is just doesn't isn't going to make things better. I I still think I would I'm still partial to capside. Right. And how is training a hero in various situations going to lessen the possibility of nitro going into a crowded say mall and blowing himself up? You know, because he he's an as far as his civilian guys go, he looks like an average person. You know, put a baseball hat on him like he was in in Bendis's Daredevil, and and grubby him up. Nobody's going to know that that's Nitro. Right. You walk into a, a mall and blow himself up. Who cares if these heroes have been trained? They're not going to be able to react to something like that. So you're going to have damage any way you slice it. It's just an excuse to push the agenda. Mm-hmm. That that's that's what Nitro's. Um, role in this thing was he was the uh, the the catalyst that um, pushed the legislation into effect. Much like, well, I'm not going to go there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's not a a proper subject for a comics podcast. I I, I don't think so. But um, as as far as the the way in which the issue was presented, I don't think. The team of McNiven, Vines, and Hollowell have done a a better job on previous issues. This issue was just gorgeous. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely, from top to bottom. Yep. And it's all uh, most of the panels are like in a nice widescreen. It's very cinematic, isn't it? Right. The, yeah. The, the thing that got me the most was Maury is a guy who will go to great lengths on the smallest of details, like on the page where Iron Man is confronting Spider Man. In, in that little uh, room, I love the texture that he put in the armor. Just like this burnished steel kind of kind of yes. texture. And he could have gotten away with just, you know, throw some noise in the color and, you know, that's Iron Man's face. But no, he put all these little burnished lines in there and it's just, it's amazing work. I love it. Really. And, and um, McNiven... Uh, I just keep looking at that panel where Spider-Man whacks Iron Man with the haymaker and he goes flying through the wood and the rubble's coming out and he he, he even throws in some um you know you can see the the wires the the electrical wires encased in the you know that yeah. that thick metal shell it's just god it's amazing stuff and I had to warm up to McNiven I was a little bit too real for me at first, and I mean, I bought Meridian, and I, I, I've I've purchased books that on which he's worked, and you know, I, I, he's a talented guy, but I didn't really appreciate him back then. It took this series to really make me see what the guy's capable of, and the schmutz that falls out of Jack O' Lantern's head. Yeah. Oh, I love that panel. Yeah, I don't understand that. He's uh he's an actual pumpkin head, huh? Wasn't that I... something to do with um Inferno? See now, okay, now I'm going to give a quick little shout out to Comic Book Noise number sixty six because Derek and Mike and 
Tim, all part of the Deliberate Noise Network, all um, all kind of look at Civil War number five, and Tim goes into great detail on Maury's colors, and he also mentions that. Oh no, I'm sorry. No, Mike mentions that if if Jack Lantern is not human. Apparently there was a, uh, if not Inferno, was there a miniseries called Supernaturals or something to that effect? It rings a bell. And it's possible that I think Jack O'Lantern may not be human. He might be supernatural in, in, in being, so he may not be a person that can be killed by a headshot like that. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I need to know. I mean, maybe I'll flip through the, uh, I doubt it'll be in that, but the Civil War Secret Files that came out a few weeks back, maybe he's in there, maybe that'll tell us, or maybe... When you come across events in the Marvel Handbook, right? Well, we'll, we'll know. But um, well, I know for a fact that this is Jack O' Lantern two. There have been okay. there have been three uh, of them. This is the second one, I think. Oh, so, yeah. The first one was named Jack Mackendale. For some reason, I remember that name. That I remember that name too. Yes. Yeah. So maybe this is somebody else. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it, it's you should go listen to Comic Book Noise sixty six because if you're enjoying what we're saying about Civil War number five, you can get some pros and cons there. But as far as Tony mentioning that being a real pumpkin in there, it's it's a great image. I oh, mean, yeah. And, well, especially I, afterwards when you see his like his his head on the floor right next to the Punisher's feet, all this mush <laughs> that's coming out. That's that's a fantastic shot. To grab a spoon. And even, <laughs> even, even, but if you notice on the page before, the panel before, you see the red laser line from Punisher's rifle. Yep, you're right. And I'm wondering if, and I'm wondering oh, yeah, if, uh, right. if, if, if the jester is noticing that when he says "spoil sports," because next thing you see is is the uh, is the explosion, and then and then oh. the headshot. Yeah, I think Jester's responding to his uh, the comments from the, the, comment, the shield. Yeah, engine. about getting him sick tight. Yeah. Yeah. Good eye, though. I didn't notice that. I have to pay more attention, closer attention to this art. This is you keep, really you keep listening to Vince. You will. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, shout out to CGS who scored another little subliminal uh, appearance in this issue on the, some of the shield screens. There's uh, image caps from the CGS forum. Oh, oh cool. really? Yeah. Yep. That's great. Well, how about on the page where Punisher walks into um, the Caps Roundtable, and you see some images of real people on the screen? Yeah, that's Vines. Who are these people. It looks like Dexter Vines, and um, I don't. I'm not familiar what Maury looks like, other than his avatar on CGS. But I think that's definitely Mark Millar and Dexter Vines. I think mm-hmm. it looks like the creative team. I mean, why else would that be there? Yeah, right. You know, but uh, that's really cool. And um, Maury, you know, we have a forum, so yeah, there's two more <laughs> issues left. <laughs> uh, the, um, the, I'm thinking that the shield agent on the, is it the second page, the one who's talking that says Commander Hill wants a sit rep on Storm and Richards, that, that looks to be too... That doesn't look like just somebody drew a comic book character into into a panel. I mean, to me, that that stands out a little bit. That's got to be somebody that someone knows. You know who that looks like to me? Shane. Shane Kelly. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Where is this again? It's on, after after Sue and Johnny's embrace on the next page with all the panels, second oh, panel right, yeah. from the bottom, that looks like Shane from CGS. And look above the balloon. 
uh, where, right between where it says Shield Helicary and his dialogue balloon, there's a yeah. C, there's a CGS forum again. Yeah, there is. What's nice. a guy? What's a guy got to do to get in there, man? <laughs> you know, got, easy. I think Maury has the most realistic flesh palette in comics. Oh, it's amazing, and uh, it helps when you have somebody like McNiven to color. Right. Um, the images of Cap, his purplish, bruised, bluish skin. <laughs> oh, and it, he he throws some grays in there. It's it's just impeccable stuff. Even the close up on uh, on Hill when she says, "I knew we couldn't trust that guy." I mean that that's that's a and she's got that slight snarl and there's there's some nice color tones in in, in her face there. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to give Chris Neesman a, a chance to laugh right now. She Hulk under Hollowell and and company here. That's yeah, that's color. the best the She Hulk has ever looked. That's I saw I saw that when she was talking to Reed and I was thinking of you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. how how could you talk to She Hulk and not stare her right in the chest? I mean, I'd have a hard, I'd have a hard time in regular uh, situations, but she's. I mean, those boobs are eye level, man. Well, I'm sure the Baxter Building was bugged. I'm sure he's got plenty of videotape to go back and watch. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Awesome. Go read. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And why don't we just take a look at that double page negative zone prison shot again? That's pretty cool. That is amazing. A, a bit excessive, but it's pretty cool. And and again, back to Hollowell, he's not content with just dropping flat color on that, on those walls. Look at there's variations in the tone on the whole thing. There's there's really nothing that's just a flat gray or a, a gradation of a, a you know a bunch of grays. There's texture in there. That's awesome stuff. Yeah. Nobody else goes to such distance. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Not many go to the distance that uh, Maury will. The changing a little bit. The um, going back to the page before Punisher makes his entrance with Spider-Man. I guess I, I guess Sue's never really had a soft spot in her heart for Tony, because somebody asks, "What the hell does he? Why the hell does he call it number forty-two anyway?" And Sue's response is, "Knowing Tony Stark, it'll have something to do with his mother." Yeah. <laughs> this has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but it does have something to do with Tony Stark. When you finish the Ultimate Alliance game, mm-hmm. as the credits roll, which I did finish, thank God I can get on with my life, there there are um, fake answering machine messages from the crew that worked on the game to what you're supposed to take as the actual Marvel superheroes. Mm-hmm. Like, and one part, it's Tony Stark. And the woman says, well, okay, Mr. Stark, it's time to record your, you know, your lines. And Tony says, I, I know you're hot for me. Come on, admit it. You know, and he's, <laughs> and, and, he, and he's hitting on the woman, the, the, the technical advisor for the, it, it's really funny. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's, but that's, you know, neither here. And, and it goes on forever. It, it It's, I would say literally like, Ten minutes of just different um, messages, uh, superheroes talking to the people in the control booth. It's really cool. Ah, uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, the Ultimate Avengers DVD had a whole bunch of outtakes on the end too, didn't it? Of just you know Tony flubbing, oh everybody flubbing their lines, or just ad libbing, and it was it was really uh, you know yeah, it was pretty cool. Good laugh. That's neat. Yeah. 
But uh, back to Civil War Five. Hey, there's, there's one thing that Cap says here, and that scene where uh, Punisher walks in, you see Punisher's shadow on the bottom. Um, Cap says, uh, "I got a bigger job for you in Arizona, Hulkling." What do you? Is that referring to anything? What is this Arizona thing that he's talking about? Does anybody know? Does that have to do with anything going on in uh, Young Avengers Runaways? Um, I do believe so. I have the first three waiting for issue four to read it all at once. Okay. But I do believe they go out west for some reason. Okay. Otherwise, yeah, here's, here's, what is out there? I. Hmm, you, your guess is as good as mine. Okay. And um, good old X-51 makes an appearance. Yes. With, Looking cool with his hair and shades. Yeah, because robots need hair. So. And actually, you got you got uh, well at least at least two two uh, two members of Next Wave because you got Monica Rambeau there also. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and does anybody want to dice or go into how how um how I mean do, do you really think his that window took that much out of Peter Parker for him to grovel along the sewers and then to be pretty much taken out by Jester and Jack-O-Lantern? Um, I mean, he's gone against greater foes in this. He's lifted a building off his back, hmm. and and he and said he'll 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 be he'll just ramble on about about him snapping his girlfriend's neck. Hello, this is Sean Connery. I spend my time cursing George Lazenby and listening to bullpen bulletins because I love comics. <laughs> if Tony Stark is as resourceful as he claims to be or as the Marvel writers want you to think he is, don't you think he would have a fail-safe trigger for that suit where he could have shut him down in a second? Or... Since he knows he's going to Cap, maybe he's got some sort of homing device in it, and they'll end up. But I would think the Cap is smarter than that, and they'll probably discard the. Uh, oh, I definitely, the I definitely think yeah. there's a homing device in it because, in the issues of Amazing, um, it's revealed that the suit transmits um, status reports on Peter's um, body rhythm and his health okay. and and yeah oh, so right, yeah. yeah so I definitely think there's a there's a tracker he's, in it. Here's hoping Cap's smart enough to get rid of it. Uh, I'm sure he is. But this yeah this outfit's torn to pieces anyway, right? I mean he would need a new costume anyway. Right. Yeah yeah. I mean, his toes but are you know showing. After Civil War, these heroes are going to need some more uh, no, some better uh, villains to go up against because they've never been this beat up before. Look, Cap's like you know ripped apart in every issue. And I don't recall him ever being this bad. Uh, well, I don't. I don't know any how many. Villains, so. But how many villains has he taken on that are encased in armor? I mean, these the, these bruises, I believe, are pretty much the result of the last battle with Iron Man and and the other uh, and the other pro reg heroes. Yeah. So I mean, but you know, okay, but you know, anything short of this in future issues is going to be a bit of like you know, all right, well, we've seen better, you know. Right. The bar is raised kind of. Uh, I see what you're saying. They're gonna they're gonna have to ramp it up a little bit, yeah. and uh, I think they will with Thunderbolts. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's gonna be a, a pretty uh, nasty threat when the villains can work on the side of the law. Hmm. I don't think there's any lengths they won't go to. 
because they're sanctioned. They're 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 despicable acts. Yeah, but they can't they can't go all out because, like we found out here, when when uh, but they can when subdue. These two we're going to. Yeah, I mean they can they can pretty much do everything they have to do. But I mean, if they start to cross that line, then then Shield can just you know. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing with the Shield agents' comments. He's based. They basically have a license to beat the tar out of Spider-Man. Just don't kill him. Yeah. So, yeah. I, it, it, as far as I'm concerned, that pretty much that's an open door. You know, you there's really no limits other than killing him, maim him, break his bones. You know, but just Hey, keep them alive. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Do that for yeah. me, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. And after we beat you up, join us. Come join the government. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the only thing that made me chuckle in this issue, and I think it's more a uh, a visual cue to the readers as to what's going on, but you, you go to great lengths to build a prison in the negative zone, and your portal has a vanity license plate on it. Basically, that's what it is. It's got a big old freaking 42 on it. You know, anybody who's supposed to be there knows where that portal's going. You know, So let's just stick a big 42 on it. But you know, graphically, I guess it's pretty cool. It works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it does what it's supposed to do, but it just it made me chuckle like yeah, that's the 42 portal because it's got a, a big 4 and a big 2 on it. Right. That's pretty cool, I guess. That's just nitpicky. When you have a comic that's as solid as this, you know, you have to spend the majority of your time picking it apart because it's so damn solid. It's There's there's not too much to complain, in my opinion, not too much to complain about with this book. It's everything I would hope it would be. And not it doesn't have the gut punch that... Single, the two, uh, one, two, and three did, or even four, but it's. I think it moves the story along rather nicely. The only problem I have with it is it's still very one-sided. You're still siding with the uh, anti-registration. Yeah, I'd give you side. that. Yeah, that's the only thing. And, that's and I keep hoping that with each successive issue, they do explore that a little bit, but. Times are running out. We only got two yeah. more left, and I, I, I yeah. really don't see how they can state Tony Stark's case properly. Yeah, well, who you know, I, I'm not a writer. There are certainly ways to do it, but I'm just saying that the clock is ticking, and they don't have much time or space to do that. Mm, true. Because if you present Civil War as a seven-issue series. And, you know, give it to someone who has no knowledge of the Marvel Universe. It does make sense, but like I said on the forum today, this is a series where the big picture is only painted if you dip into the crossovers. Like, mm -hmm. if you didn't read Wolverine, that Stanford thing does make sense, but it makes even more sense right. having read the events in that comic and the actions of the pro-registration side become a little bit more despicable and there's even a there was even a third side in this that hasn't been explored oh, in yeah. in the in the civil war miniseries itself but did in in Wolverine's comic so yeah. You know. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, and and then in amazing you mm. you get the reasons why Peter suddenly decided to reconsider his actions, but in this, you only get a small 
glimpse of you know the way he was thinking but in yeah obviously this is the after this is after they've had their conversation right and and like david said in the fantastic 4 you got a a much better idea what's going on with that relationship but they do a good job of of giving you the the framework in in this series but if you want to you know slap some walls on it and windows you you have yeah. to read the the tie-ins Front line too, with speedball and all that. Yeah, front line. Front line. Front line. I just see. I I I view front line and civil war as as one mini. I I, I wouldn't be able to. I don't think anybody's going to read civil war, civil war front line, without reading civil war. No one's going. Oh look, front line came out. Let me just read this. They're they're definitely reading civil war as well, and front line is 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 a is a nice enough compliment to. The proper miniseries there, I just view them as as one, right. one long one. One, I mean, it would have been nice if they came out when they were supposed to, where you had an episode, you had an issue of Frontline, Civil War, then Frontline, then Frontline, and Civil War. I mean, that would have been nice, but it didn't happen that way. We're not going to, you know, I don't want to beat that horse. But right. as far as the story in Frontline, it's different than what's going on in Civil War, but they they work great together, and I just I view them as one great big story right see i like frontline a lot and i think it's a very good book but i don't think there's anything in frontline that's integral to understanding civil war not like the wolverine thing where yeah that's pretty that's pretty crucial but you you have the ben urich story which is basically setting up the thunderbolts you have the speedball story that's kind of tweaking the whole prison incarceration aspect of it and then you have the namer not the namer the atlantean story that has yet to be explored inside mm-hmm. civil war in in namer uh, there i go again in wolverine yeah it did but not in in the civil war so i'm thinking uh namer's going to pop up in issue 6 or 7 well we saw the variant cover where I, I've said that that Namor looks like uh, Danny Terrio from was it Solid Gold? Oh, that's right, that's right. The and that, Sue that and Michael Turner, right? Right. Sue and and, and Namor cover with with with. I forgot Namor and that great cop uh, pop collar, but I forgot the, all about um, that. I don't see how I close my eyes and it scares me. So the uh, so you're right, and 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 the Atlantis. Um, story going on in Frontline. I mean, it gives us a chance to get Wonder Man's thoughts on registration. The There's Speedball story is... And I'll, I'll take this Wonder Man in this storyline in Frontline than the upcoming mini, but we're not going to get into that. The Speedball story is giving us insight on, on the negative zone, on, on the 42, so even though we see this great double-page spread in Civil War and, and Daredevil's being escorted to his his cell you know if 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 this is your if this is your first glimpse at the prison because did we see we haven't seen too much of the prison in the other ep- in the first four issues right no not not too much so if if you're not if you're not reading civil war frontline and this was your first experience to it you kind of got a better feel for the prison in frontline and right. and as far as the main story in frontline you're getting the street level copyright Chris Neesman storyline between Sally Floyd and and Yurik and you know seeing Sally take on the government and Ben 
risking his life and, and almost getting killed from goblins. So, I mean, even Frontline kind of gave you a glimpse of the new Thunderbolts. And Frontline has... I, I know what you're saying, Vince, that it's not as integral as Wolverine, Spider-Man, or Fantastic Four. But if you look deep enough, there were seeds planted that you'll see a bigger picture as Civil War goes on. Right. And I look at Civil War as the DVD proper and Frontline as the deleted scenes. Sure, they okay. enhance the overall, overall story more and they, you know, you get a, a much deeper insight into it like in Frontline when they were burying Bill Foster. That to me was really cold and it just says that these oh, yeah. you know, these guys they're not they're not fooling around. They will go to any lengths to get this thing enacted. And this was one of their own, and they dig a big hole and throw them in it. And, oh, you know, Bill, Bill Foster's dead. But you would never know that in the pages. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was swell of Tony to, to buy six plots so that they could <laughs> Yeah, well, he's a, you know, he's a nice guy. Um, so, yeah, it, it does enhance your experience of Civil War, but I don't think it's... Uh, <laughs> In in terms of grasping the entire story, yeah, it's integral. But I think the miniseries itself gave you enough to chew on. Like, is it enough that Thor or the the Thor clone killed and one? Oh, so not only do we know that it's a clone, but that was that was where I was trying to go. I'm sorry. Okay. When when we were talking about Punisher, and I was the guy in the ski mask. Another part that they kind of beat us over the head was they wanted to make sure that we were told that this wasn't a clone, but it was also partly a cyborg. So it was a cybernetic organism. So it was right. a clone and a robot right. that killed Bill Foster. So, I mean, you know, in case, in case you didn't pick up on the fact that this wasn't uh, a living being that was getting drilled on the side of his head through the ear... It was also a cyborg, you know. I mean, it was almost like they were telling Vince, Vince, that this wasn't a real person that they were trying to, you know, put a needle in his head. But that makes no goddamn sense. Why, if you could clone a god, would you have to add the cybernetic part? Because it was, it was the 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 electricity came through the the. They didn't clone a god. They, they didn't clone a god. They cloned a person. They cloned a being that looks like Thor. They had his hair. And maybe some skin particles. So wait, 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 they, they cloned them. What? What? The process of cloning? You're, you're duplicating the original because you have its DNA. That's the blueprint. From right. The, you have its DNA. So, so you're saying that the godlike powers are in the. I mean, he's he was he was given life by Odin. This being was given life by Reed and Hank and Tony. He needs the he needs the robotics to generate. The godlike powers is how I'm reading it, or to control him as well. No, and and to make sure that yeah he he obeys them. Mm. So the flesh and the biological aspects of the character are what channel the power, but the cybernetic is what controls the brain. Yeah, and 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 the hammer. The, the hammer is what killed Bill Foster. When Black Goliath went down because Thor fried him or put the, the lightning through his through his heart, that was from the hammer. That was part of the robotics. But basically, Reed says, "Sometimes I wish we'd never gotten involved." Do you ever stop to think how much easier things would be if we hadn't spliced Thor's DNA with Hank Pym's cybertech? 
if we didn't have the big final battle planned with all those Thunderbolt lunatics? Yeah, it's it's still. Uh... So they threw that in. I mean, I I mean, you're right. I mean, I could see your where you're going with the well, they cloned Thor. I mean, you know, why can't they just have a whole army of cloned Thor gods? Mm. But it wasn't. I I don't just because you made somebody. Yeah, I mean, and we 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 see this over over with the guys down the street when 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 mm-hmm. Luthor tried to clone Superman, we got Bizarro. I mean, that didn't work right either. Yeah. So I mean, nothing, no good ever comes out of cloning. So obviously, <laughs> they have to, to try to um, yes, never clone. <laughs> you know, Darth Sidious. So I mean, you have to. You, you, they they had to beef it up with with the uh, with the armaments. You brought up another point about uh, this final war that they're planning. A final battle. How do you? How would you plan a final battle against an enemy who's doesn't really have a base that you know of? You know, they're, they're working out of warehouses and you know under mountains and all that, and they're on the run. I mean, how do you organize a final battle? Which I, and I, and I that know. and that shows me that they're even more smug and more pretentious. They they think that they know all this, but which just is is another reason for me to dislike this this side of of mm-hmm. the fight because it's like. You know, no, nobody likes the know-it-all that thinks that you know. Well, I just have everything planned out, and you can't beat me. And and I, I, I don't buy it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The cap side of the equation are using guerrilla tactics. Yeah. They're they're, yeah. they're non-conventional they're fighters. Clean. Yeah. So in in order to plan a final battle, you, one would assume that they have something that's going to draw them out. Mm-hmm. So. As far as that goes, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. But yeah. that's that's a really good point. You're right. How, how do they expect them to just, you know, it's like whack-a-mole. How do you know where the mole's going to show up? You don't. That's right. So yeah. you, you have to kind of tip the, the, the scale in your favor by doing something that will bring them out. That's cool. I can't, yeah, it's a good, I, that's a good point. Maybe the, uh, the prisoners are the bait. Uh, who knows? Yeah, that could be. Anything? No. How? What about the Thunderbolts? Does anybody? Uh, I mean, I never cared about the Thunderbolts before Civil War, and now I'm buying the series. Um, as a, a little aside, Tom Grummet has become a master. The, I mean, I loved his work. I and, mean, he was good before. Oh yeah, his his stuff in Thunderbolts is just world class comic book illustration, and it's it's not, you know anywhere near avant-garde it's just straight traditional comic book illustration but he is so damn good at it just just brilliant stuff but like i said uh baron zemo in the pages of thunderbolts is so vividly portrayed i just i love that character they almost in my opinion they almost have him on a doctor doom level as far as the the vividness with which this guy has been fleshed out i and there's a baron zemo miniseries coming up soon so to yeah keep an eye out for that but and that's and that's being done by grumman yeah thunder oh, wow. thunderbolts is top-notch stuff don't think think twice before when you see a marvel book that gives you three issues for like say five bucks and you think wow you know this is a good deal i bought that swimming with sharks thunderbolts one shot and now i'm hooked I, I bought every issue after, and I'm probably going to go back and 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 dip into the back issue bins and buy every issue since. It's a really good book. I'll have to check it out. I'm not. Uh, I don't. Even, I'm not even sure who the Thunderbolts are. 
it's just it's a cast of villains that have it was well it, it originally when when the storyline first came out they were a bunch of heroes that you never heard of before right and then i think it was after what the first 6 or 12 years, after the first year they had a big reveal and it was it was written by uh, fabian Nicienza and drawn by bagley mm-hmm. and at the end of i think the first year you found out that these heroes, quote unquote, weren't quite heroes in the tradition. I mean, they might have done good in the in these issues, but once I think the masks came off, you found out it was Baron Zemo, was Moonstone. There were uh, was one of them, uh, Atlas. Yeah, I mean, and and I mean, from what I recall, the Avengers villains for the most part, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it was. It, it was. It pretty much just took everybody by storm. I didn't. I unfortunately wasn't reading it initially, so it's something I'm going to have to go back. But didn't they cancel the issue and start over with a new number one or something? Fans weren't really thrilled with that. They did that whole Fight Club Thunderbolt thing. I remember that. Okay. And uh, but I don't think they renumbered it. This has run 108 issues presently, and they, I'm. They definitely didn't renumber it then. No. But uh, yeah, they're they're just a bunch of villains who were put in a situation where they had to act like heroes, and they kind of liked it. Hmm. So they they continued to, and now the Thunderbolts are the uh, government strike team. Okay, the Goblin and uh, yeah. Jack Lantern. Okay, yes, and Venom and Bullseye and yeah. and it's. And and there's more story in the last three issues of Thunderbolts than I've read in a whole year of some some titles. There's just stuff going on all over the place, just really really top notch stuff. Oh, I gotta check that out. That's yeah, great. and then you'll be cursing me <laughs> if you weren't already. Yeah, join yeah. join the club. Uh-huh. Okay, well, Tony, it was great having you. Thanks a lot, guys. And, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, don't let this be the last, the the first and last time you you, you come on with us. We we no, absolutely not. we enjoy having you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yep. See you on the boards. Have you a great bet. night. You too. Bye bye.